Good evening and welcome to the Transportation Authority of Marin Board of Commissioners meeting on April 27, 2023rd at 6 p.m. I would like to welcome everyone to this evening's meeting and uh, ask our executive director to swear in two alternate commissioners. Hey, thank you very much, Chair Colbert. Welcome everyone. So we do have uh, two commissioners here who are alternates uh, for whom this is their first meeting at TAM. So I'll be doing the oath of office. I'm sure you have done this before. So just please repeat after me. This is for uh, commissioners Blash and commissioner Kilman. So I state your name. Uh, you need to turn on your microphone, please. I am Lisa Blash. Okay. There you go. It's on. Okay. I yeah. Janelle Kilman. Okay. Thank you. Do solemnly swear or affirm. Do solemnly swear or affirm that I will support and defend. I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. Constitution of the United States and the Constitution of the State of California. Constitution of the State of California against all enemies, all enemies, foreign and domestic, foreign and domestic. That I will bear true faith and allegiance. To the Constitution of the United States. Constitution of the United States and the Constitution of the State of California. Constitution of the State of California. That I take this obligation freely. I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation. Any mental reservation or purpose of evasion. Purpose of evasion. That I will well and faithfully discharge. I will well and faithfully discharge the duties upon which. upon which I am about to enter. About to enter. Thank you. Thank you, Anne. Uh, prior to the roll call, I would like to make it clear for the record, and it should be reflected in the minutes, that this meeting is being conducted pursuant to California Government Code Section 54953, and that Commissioner Ravazio is participating remotely from Colorado. In accordance with the Ralph M. Brown Act, Commissioner Ravazio's teleconference location has been identified in the notice and agenda for this meeting. I also have another brief update that we will be taking up item seven before item six tonight. Item seven should go uh, quickly. And with that, Jennifer, can you conduct a roll call, please? Commissioner Blash? Commissioner Carmel? Absent. Commissioner Carroll? Here. Commissioner Collin? Absent. Commissioner Farrat? Here. Commissioner Fredericks? Here. Commissioner Kilman? Here. Commissioner Kenitzer? Here. Commissioner Cool? Absent. Commissioner Moulton Peters? Absent. Commissioner Ravazio? Here. Commissioner Rice? Here. Commissioner Verdoni? Here. Commissioner Sackett? Here. Vice Chair Lucan? Here. Chair Colbert? Here. Do we have a quorum, Jennifer? We do have a quorum, and I believe Commissioner Collin just walked in. Thank you very much. Jennifer, can you provide the public participation announcements, please? Yes. This meeting will be conducted as a hybrid meeting. A Zoom webinar link has been provided, as well as accommodations for in-person attendance. There are a number of ways that the public may participate in today's discussion. For members of the public participating in person, the board chair will recognize persons from the audience who wish to address the board during public open time or on a particular agenda item at the time that that item is considered by the board. 
Members of the public participating by Zoom may provide verbal comment on any item during the open time for that particular item by using the raised hand feature or dialing star nine and waiting to be called upon to provide your comment. Meeting-related comments may also be sent to info at tam.ca.gov and will be read when the specific agenda item is considered by the board and will become part of the record. Please note that there is a three-minute limit per comment. Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer. And I would also like to note that we've been joined by Commissioner Cool. We'll move on to agenda item number one, the chair's report. April 26th, yesterday was Administrative Professionals Day. I'd like to acknowledge and thank TAM's administrative uh, professionals, Jennifer, Joanne, and Grace. Thank you for all your effort and energy. And I'd like to announce the formation of an SR37 ad hoc committee, assigning myself, Eric Lucan, and Stephanie Moulton-Peters, who are the Marin members of the SR37 policy committee. Jennifer, do we have any public comment from within the chambers? I don't see any at this time, Chair. Any online? I don't see any hands raised at this time. Thank you. I also note that we have now been joined by Commissioner Moulton-Peters, welcome. Moving to item number two, commissioner's reports and commissioner matters not on the agenda. Why don't we lead off with the Marin Transit Report right now by Commissioner Rice. All righty. Uh, good evening, everyone. So um, from Marin Transit, so as I have mentioned in previous um, board meetings, uh, Marin Transit continues to really have excellent uh, performance in terms of ridership recovery. As of the month of February, ridership was at 81% of pre-COVID ridership um, for that month. Uh, we are also in the process of evaluating um, different battery electric vehicles that could be used as part of the Marin Transit fleet, most recently testing a battery electric, electric small bus, with which Chair Colbert and I took a ride on. Really sweet. Um, the bus is on loan from a European manufacturer for the month of April, and it's being tested in paratransit service and on community shuttle routes. Um, it has low floor wheelchair is wheelchair accessible and has a 130 mile range. Um, we're going to be evaluating the vehicle um, over the coming weeks, and if it performs well, it will be considered for replacement um, into the shuttle fleet. Um, let's see, on to labor shortages. Like um, so many sectors across the economy, um, Marin Transit is, um, is experiencing labor shortages. And this is causing missed bus trips. Um, they have increased um, in, in the past several months. And so towards addressing the service reliability and problems created in part by this labor shortage, Marin Transit is making several service changes that will reduce the number of drivers needed while minimizing service reductions. These service reductions and changes were discussed um, in detail over several meetings of Marin Transit. They will go into effect on June 11th. Um, let's see. Uh, then uh, on Monday, we have a regular Marin Transit Board meeting, and at that meeting, one of our items will be a discussion of the Marin Access Programs, and these are a variety of programs and services for older adults and people with disabilities. In addition to ADA paratransit, Marin Access includes a taxis, taxi subsidy program, on-demand shuttle services, community dial-a-rides, and volunteer driver programs. Ridership on all of these programs continues to be less than 50% of pre-COVID levels. So staff's been monitoring all the programs and we will and engaging with riders in the community 
and uh, towards informing changes that will be made um, or proposed around the Marin Access Programs. And we'll discuss that on Monday. And that is the Marin Transit Report. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now for the MTC report from Commissioner Moulton Peters. Absolutely. Well, this is very hot off the press. I spent uh, yesterday afternoon and this morning uh, at an MTC retreat uh, where we looked at both um, current and future plans for transportation and transit, as well as housing. And I think it's a really healthy development that MTC and ABAG are working more and more closely together all the time on these issues. Uh, we took a deep dive into looking at the current transit sustainability issues and the issues that transit is having everywhere except at Marin Transit, uh, but with ridership that has changed due to the change in work patterns. Uh, we've also looked uh, this morning at the possibility, the real possibility for a regional housing bond in 2024, uh, and the we're all in this together approach to um, housing issues. I know that my colleague, uh, Commissioner Sackett, is also working on the housing bond issues. So it's great to see the kind of cohesive and integrated planning um, continue to form at this joint agency. And then it's also very real that there are lots of transit dollars, or excuse me, transportation dollars coming down the road that we need to be able to um, plan and, and manage all the projects. So we discussed that this morning as well. So very full plate, uh, gave direction to staff to uh, keep going on all fronts and, uh, and uh, stay tuned. So, thank, you. Thank, thank you very much. We'll now turn to the SMART report from Commissioner Lucan. Uh, thank you, Chair. Uh, three updates from the SMART Board of Directors. Uh, number one is uh, ridership uh, return continues to be strong. There's a bit of a friendly competition between SMART and Marin Transit for that number one spot uh, currently held by Marin Transit on ridership return. This past month, uh, SMART was number three across all the Marin, uh, across all the Bay Area transit agencies. Uh, but this past week had the strongest week weekly ridership since the pandemic. And this past weekend had the strongest weekend ridership ever since the start of the service, uh, mostly driven by the butter and eggs uh, parade uh, in Petaluma. Um, so uh, good news there. Um, also, uh, with regards to youth fairs, um, along with the other transit agencies in the North Bay, uh, SMART uh, is going to be offering uh, youth uh, free, uh, free fares for youth during the summer months in conjunction with Marin Transit, Sonoma County Transit, Santa Rosa City Bus, and Petaluma Transit, uh, which is pretty exciting uh, for our young people. Uh, and then lastly, the third update, I uh, just want to uh, mention uh, our general manager at SMART, Eddie Cummins, is being recognized by the North Bay Leadership Council uh, with their From Red Tape to Red Carpet Leadership and Government Award uh, on May 12th, uh, which is uh, pretty remarkable. He's, he's still new, new to the agency, um, but he's making quite an impact uh, in his short time so far, and it's uh, great to see him being recognized um, by the community. So that's the update from SMART. Thank you very much, Commissioner Lucan. Do any of my fellow commissioners have any matters not on the agenda that they would like to bring up? Commissioner Sackett. I just want to share that this morning I had the wonderful opportunity to join Miller Creek educators, the CHP, the DMV, um, and most of our education partners to celebrate um, Robert Storber, who has driven the same bus route in, in the Miller Creek district for 25 years. And he was chosen as one of two in the state for and has had a perfect um, 
accident record, no accidents in 25 years. And they said he always raised his hand for field trips. So I was just thinking of like chaos in the back of the bus and all of the drivers in the morning shuffle. And um, so it was really a great celebration of his record and um, his service to our community. Thank you for sharing that. Any additional commissioner matters not on tonight's agenda? Seeing none, any public comment here in the chamber? None. Any online, Jennifer? I don't see any hands raised at this time, Chair. All right, we'll bring that to a close and move on to item three, the executive director's report. Okay, thank you, Chair. Uh, good evening, everyone. Um, I do have a few slides for us today. And uh, starting off with some good news, I guess maybe it's award season because the California Transportation Foundation uh, recently announced that the North-South Greenway Gap Closure Project, this is the one that was completed and opened last summer over Corte Madera Creek, um, that that has been named as a top finalist for an award in the active transportation project category. There are two finalists, so we uh, think our odds are pretty good. Um, TAM submitted a nomination in partnership with Caltrans and the city of Larkspur, and the winners are expected to be announced at their awards program on June 6th. So let's keep our fingers crossed on that one. Uh, next, next slide, next slide. There you go. Um, uh, you may have seen this around the county, but uh, the Street Smarts banners are going back up uh, on uh, light posts and banner locations all around the county. Um, just a reminder, this is the educational program that's targeted at intersections with identifiable accident histories. So along with this data-driven approach, as you recall, the program messaging was revamped for this school year. These are the same banners that went up in the fall, um, and here they are again in the spring. They'll be up until the end of May. And for anyone who wants a yard sign, those are also available, and you can get those uh, by contacting the Public Works Department at the local jurisdiction, and the actual contacts are listed on the TAM website. Next slide. Um, you may recall, I think it was last summer, we brought to the board an update on the interchange study that is um, included in the sales tax measure, and we are now moving into a more detailed planning phase for the three interchanges that were selected to be advanced under the study. Uh, those are the Tiburon Boulevard, East Blythdale Avenue interchange. This is all interchanges on US 101. Uh, the Freitas Parkway Civic Center Drive interchange and Alameda Del Prado Nave Drive interchange. And uh, we'll be doing uh, more of an update on this at our Bicycle and Pedestrian Advisory Committee meeting, which is scheduled for May 16th. Um, we are planning to gather community input on the scope of the improvements that are being studied um, to be sure that what we're considering align with the needs of the community. Um, and if anyone is interested in more information, there is actually a report for each of the interchanges that was studied that's available on the project website, uh, which is in the written executive director's report and available by linking from the TAM website. Next slide. Uh, regarding the Safe Routes to Schools program, uh, which is one of TAM's biggest ongoing programs, we recently request a, released a request for proposals due to uh, the impending expiration of our current contract. Uh, we'll be seeking qualified consultants for managing and implementing the program in Marin County. Uh, the scope is detailed in the RFP that is on our website and proposals are due um, on May 18th by 3 p.m. with uh, more details available online. Next slide. 
Turning to some additional regional news, um, MTC and ABAG are certainly uh, busy. And one of the things they're doing right now is they have an open call for projects inviting or call for um, nominations, I guess, inviting local jurisdictions to nominate priority development areas or PDAs and priority sites uh, to be included in the upcoming update of Plan Bay Area, which will be called Plan Bay Area 2050 plus. All PDAs that are nominated by July 31st and priority sites that are nominated by September 31st that meet the guidelines would then become eligible for future funds dedicated to these programs, uh, which includes things like the One Bay Area Grant or OBAG funding program. Uh, TAM does not have a role in nominating PDAs. However, our staff is working with your local planning and public works staffs uh, to understand areas identified in recently approved housing elements, for example, uh, that may need additional planning um, to see if there's a fit between the MTC process and the local processes. And we'd be happy to um, provide more information or follow up directly if anyone uh, would like that. Next slide, uh, more MTC news. Uh, you may recall that last year, MTC staff provided an update um, to this group on their transit-oriented community or TOC policy. And uh, they have been updating the guidelines for compliance with that policy. Um, the draft guidelines now provide more information detailing some of the requirements for these TOC areas. And uh, those are generally um, areas that are located within a half mile of rail or ferry stations in the county um, or throughout the region. And in Marin, the jurisdictions that are directly identified uh, as being potentially or likely subject to this uh, policy are in um, unincorporated areas of Marin County, Novato, San Rafael, Larkspur, Corte Madera, Tiburon, and Sausalito. Um, and uh, we're continuing to work again with the local planning and public works departments and uh, expect that MTC will begin sort of compliance verification reviews towards the end of the calendar year. On the funding side, uh, PG&E has recently released an EV fleet rebate uh, for the purchase of used electric vehicles for fleets. Uh, the rebate is for pre-owned vehicles and they must be battery electric or plug-in hybrid. They can either be purchased or leased. So there are some kind of new terms involved here. Uh, and the rebate amounts range from $1,000 to $4,000 per vehicle. Applications and information are available on PG&E's website. Next slide. Um, in funding news from our friends at the federal government, uh, the IIJA um, continues to roll out programs and the USDOT recently released a notice of funding opportunity for the Charging and Fueling Infrastructure Grant Program, uh, the CFI program. This program has $700 million available for alternative fueling and electric vehicle charging across the country. Uh, it's divided into two programs, a corridor program and a community program with $350 million available for each. Since last fall, TAM has been working uh, with some of our partner agencies and community partners on developing a project scope and an application for the grant program. Our understanding is that the County of Marin has agreed to be the lead applicant for this application. So thank you uh, to county staff and leaders for that. Uh, TAM will continue to work um, with the county and with other partners, including Cool the Earth and some of the local jurisdictions. Uh, the application is due May 31st, so a little bit of time, but not too much. 
Um, the Caltrans report that we provide monthly is included in the written EDR and um, continue to note that Caltrans public affairs staff sends out advisories. They're still catching up on a lot of repair and paving work. Um, so please do let us know if you'd like to be sent up for those notices. And then last but definitely not least, uh, here's this month's list of community events and meetings that staff is participating in and uh, take particular note of bike related events coming up in May. That concludes my report and I'd be happy to answer any questions. Any questions for Ann? All right, seeing none, uh, any public comment here in the room? None online? No hands raised at this time, Chair. Thank you, Jennifer. Move on to item four, open time for public comment. Open time for public expression is up to three minutes per speaker on items not on the agenda that are within the subject matter of our agency's jurisdiction. While members of the public are welcome to address the board under the Brown Act, board members may not deliberate or take action on items not on the agenda and generally may only listen. Jennifer, public comment in the chamber? Online? No hands raised at this time. Thank you so much. We'll close out and move on to item five, the consent calendar. Do any of my commissioners have any changes they'd like to make on the consent calendar? Seeing none, public comment in the chamber, out of the chamber, Jennifer? No public comment at this time. Thank you. Uh, may I have a motion from one of my commissioners to move consent? I'll move consent. Second. A first by Commissioner Moulton Peters, a second by Commissioner Rice. Commissioner Blash? Yes. Commissioner Carroll? Yes. Commissioner Collin? Aye. Commissioner Farrah? Aye. Commissioner Fredericks? Yes. Commissioner Kelman? Yes. Commissioner Kemnitzer? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Commissioner Cool, yes, okay. Uh, Commissioner Moulton Peters? Yes. Commissioner Ravazio? Yes. Commissioner Rice? Yes. Commissioner Rodoni? Yes. Commissioner Sackett? Yes. Vice Chair Lucan? Yes. Chair Colbert? Yes, that motion, uh, that moves unanimously. And as I said at the beginning of the meeting, we're going to take up item seven before item six. Item seven is approval of the team selection and contract award for the sea level rise adaption planning for Marin County's transportation system. This item, I believe, should go fairly quickly. It's on. Good afternoon. Good evening, uh, commissioners. It is a pleasure to present this item to you all today. Um, my first item presenting to you all, so I'm a little bit nervous and I apologize for any voice shakes, but it is truly a pleasure. Um, bear with me while I share my screen. Awesome. Okay, great. Again. Good evening. I am pleased to present to you all today the Sea Level Rise Adaptation Planning for Marin County's Transportation System Contract Award. Wanted to start off this presentation just giving a little bit of background about TAM's Sea Level Rise Program. So TAM's Sea Level Rise Program is funded through Measure AA's Category 2.3. It includes a set-aside for transportation related to sea level rise projects to supporting 
protecting and adapting Marin's roadways and related infrastructure to the impacts of sea level rise and flooding. It can be used for seed money, uh, for solutions, matching grants, and leverage of private investments. There are currently efforts for sea level rise and flooding underway in Marin, as I'm sure a lot of you are aware, uh, as you participate on a lot of these committees and groups. Um, but these include the county-led BayWave and CSMART efforts, several local jurisdiction plans, and uh, many regional efforts and state efforts, such as uh, BCDC, SFBI, Caltrans, and other regional efforts. Prior to this meeting, TAM staff brought discussions to the board in November of 2020 and October of 2022, where the scope of work was discussed and staff gathered input from the board on the scope of work for the RFP. Board direction for the RFP was to initiate a planning process to help move from planning phase and into initial conceptual design and identify potential projects for project development. The range of project development includes everything from vulnerability assessments to construction, uh, but per board discussion, the TAM focus area will predominantly reside in the adaptation planning to environmental design phases with support for partners as needed in the vulnerability assessments and construction areas. With the input from the board, TAM developed an RFP to solicit a team of adaptation planners, engineers, and watershed experts to consult TAM on the advancement of adaptation planning efforts, including concept development and implementation planning. The RFP was reviewed by TAM staff, county staff, and city staff prior to release on January 31st, with the goals of building off of previous efforts and creating an implementation plan to support Marin County's transportation system. A little refresh on the scope of work as reviewed by the board at the October 2022 board meeting. Uh, the scope of work includes the eight tasks listed here. So the consultant team will help facilitate agency coordination, including the development of a technical advisory group to help guide the plan. Uh, we understand um, that there are many efforts underway, uh, completed or in the pipeline even, including projects from Caltrans, the county, and other regional entities. Um, so for this RFP, we want to make it abundantly clear that we, there is that work that is being currently performed, and we will do everything that we can to incorporate those efforts as appropriate. Uh, the next task uh, will include an existing plan review for local and regional plans that pertain to sea level rise and flooding in Marin County. We want to acknowledge again just the great work that's already been completed by the cities, the county and other regional and local agencies to make sure that we're building off of this and not reinventing the wheel when it comes to sea level rise to make sure that the plan is truly representative of all that work. This information will then help inform the third task, which is the identification of vulnerable transportation related locations and assets throughout the county and task four will identify a range of adaptation measures that can be applicable in those locations. And then the governance review task, task five, will look at different possible governance structures that could work best in Marin County. This will be conducted in conjunction with the technical advisory group and host a stakeholder workshop during that time that's specific to this task as we want to make sure that we are incorporating input accordingly for that one, especially after the core tasks two through five are complete an implementation plan will be developed to help guide TAM uh, on a process for moving forward with sea level rise programs and projects throughout the county. And then all of these items will be uh, compiled and developed into a draft and final report. Um, and then project management will be included throughout. So after the RFP and the scope of work were finalized, TAM released the RFP on January 31st and closed the RFP for submissions on March 7th. By the deadline, TAM received six proposals from Arcadis, Arup, HGR, Rincon, Schaff and Wheeler, and TY Lynn. 
The proposals were reviewed and ranked by the selection panel, which consisted of members of TAM planning staff, TAM project delivery staff, county DPW staff, and the city of San Rafael staff. Of the six proposals submitted, the top three ranked firms were invited to interview with the panel. After two days of interviews, the selection panel deliberated and provided final rankings, where it was then determined that Eric was the top ranked firm. The final step in this process is the review and approval by you all today for a contract with Arab in an amount not to exceed $550,000. Little bit about Arab. Uh, Arab responded to the RFP as the lead consultant on the project with WRT and Pathways Institute. Uh, Arab brings international level of experience with local knowledge to the project. Uh, I'm joined here today with uh, project manager, Jack Hogan, who is also a uh, Marin County local. San Rafael, I believe. Yes. Yep. Awesome. <laughs> um, so with that, WRT and Pathways also bring a local understanding to the project uh, and will assist in the identification of vulnerable locations and the development of adaptation measures, those two tasks specifically. Uh, you can see an image of the Bothine Marsh restoration project that WRT is actually working on currently with the county uh, is pictured here. Throughout the process, we are expecting, again, close coordination with local jurisdictions and transit operators through the technical advisory group and the stakeholder working groups uh, over the anticipated 18-month timeline of the plan. For next steps for this process, the board approval today to finalize the contract process in the hopes of kicking off the process in this fiscal year. We will be bringing the board updates at key milestones throughout the process and look forward to hearing from you all about throughout the plan development uh, on the future of uh, adaptation planning for sea level rise for Marin County's transportation system. Um, but I do just wanna restate that the coordination is going to be huge in this planning process um, and wanted to especially thank a lot of you all who have already built such a solid foundation for sea level rise planning in Marin County so that we're not starting from nothing, that we have something to build off of, but want to also thank you in advance for all the time and effort and support that will uh, be contributed throughout the life of this plan. So we're very excited to get moving on this and I am happy to take any questions. Thank you for the report. Any commissioner questions? Commissioner Moulton-Peters. Uh, yes, I'm gonna guess that Commissioner Rice is gonna ask a similar question, but um, just to start, so we do have Bay Wave and other efforts going on. So is this transportation focused or is this everything focused? I, I just want to understand a little more the, the intersection between the efforts. Yeah, absolutely. This is predominantly transportation focused. Um, as we move through the process and the identification of vulnerable assets and transportation assets, we think it will be important to make sure that we're identifying um, other assets that are close to that because water isn't... <laughs> has this amazing ability to move around transportation. So we will we look forward to actually seeing what else can be incorporated in the transportation projects. Um, but we will also be doing that all in conjunction with Baywave and CSMART and be incorporating those committees as well. Um, but it is largely related to transportation. And then quick follow-up question, who's on your technical team that would be working with, or do you know yet? Not yet. We will work with Arab should they be approved um, to develop the technical advisory group. We would hope to have at least one representative from each of the cities, uh, whether that be from DPW or another sustainability coordinator, that's to be determined. Um, but yeah, we will iron that out in the coming weeks. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Rice. Yeah, thank you. And thank you, Michaela. And I appreciate you calling out that there's a lot of other 
work going on in this area. So I guess my question is, and you mentioned the Caltrans study that we just heard about at our Bay Wave meeting the other day. And I'm I'm just I'm curious as to how um, you all and the project team envision this work, uh, uh, coordinating, complementing, um, uh, actually communicating with the Caltrans work. And of course, that's a that required a two way um, a two two way motion. But um, what would our intention be? I, I'm I'm just I am I'm nervous about I'm concerned about avoiding uh, about doing a lot of duplication of efforts and or having a product come out that hasn't really um, have hasn't really coordinated with another agency's work in the same exact area. Yeah, I appreciate and echo that concern for the Caltrans Protect grant that uh, Vishal presented on yesterday at the Bay Wave uh, Committee meeting. We are working closely with them on that to make sure that we're not duplicating any work. Um, so as a part of the existing plan review, what we intend to do is make sure that we're collecting as much information as possible, uh, all projects that are currently underway, all plans that are currently underway, so we can identify areas where planning and projects are currently um, under <laughs> are taking place currently um, and areas where they're not so we can focus our efforts accordingly um, and the level of effort um, that Tim will invest in different areas is to be determined at this point but we are definitely making note of that and don't want to duplicate any work um, want to make this as efficient and streamlined as possible yeah and and I see and even in the um, locations that are sort of identified uh, in the diagram they all involve some uh, uh, infrastructure that is Caltrans um, responsibility and also, also that ties into infrastructure that is either local jurisdiction and or county um, and would fall more under the TAM purview. So um, I would also hope using the same data um, I mean, I mean, just just really actually to the degree possible that we can work in lockstep with these other agencies. I think it's really important. And then lastly, could you speak a little bit more to what you anticipate a governance review um, producing in terms of recommendations at the end of this study? Yeah, absolutely. For the governance review section, we want to take a look at other existing governance structures that are um, taking place throughout the Bay Area and that have worked, um, but also know that there is an effort by the county that's going underway. So kind of speaking to the previous point, want to make sure that we're working in coordination and not duplicating any efforts. Um, so through that, want to make sure that we have next steps for once we get all of the projects and identified that we know that we have a body that can help move these projects forwards and also identifying funding for them and setting up funding for that, we'll explore that and see how it's most appropriate for TAM and how that fits in. Um, but that's kind of the intent of the governance review task at this time. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, Janelle? Hi, uh, I'm Michaela. Jack, good to see you guys. Thank you. This is super exciting and um, really wonderful to see uh, you guys here tonight. Uh, so it's two questions for you um, by way of follow-up. Uh, one, it echoes, I think, uh, Supervisor Rice about coordination with other um, efforts underway. So we heard yesterday at Baywave, uh, where we saw you around uh, both Marsh and the update there for one TAM. If you could give us sort of an understanding of how uh, you specifically sort of called that out, which I assume you did in your RFP, um, in terms of how you might address that and not create overlap. And then my second question, and forgive me if I missed this, but I didn't see um, a scope uh, on, I guess I'm looking at slide, um, so it talks about the focus area. I'm not seeing anything about community engagement. So if you might touch on that and explain how you intend to communicate within each community that's going to be impacted, that'd be very helpful. Thank you. 
Absolutely, yeah. So for the projects that are currently in development, like the Bothing Marsh and underway, we want to make sure that we're creating a query of everything that's currently available um, and identifying that. Whether that's through a map, through a list that's included in the project, we want to make sure that we have a good understanding of everything that is currently underway in their current phases, um, and then make decisions after that about where to invest accordingly. That's all going to play out over the 18 months of this land and maybe a couple months past 18 months. Chairman. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we look forward to making sure that we're identifying all projects that are currently underway um, and including those in this plan and taking any like successes or like uh, Learn, lessons learned from those different projects as well, so we can apply those to other projects in the future. Um, but very excited about the Bothing Marsh project. Um, as for outreach, uh, we will be relying a lot on stakeholder outreach, just because we know that there's a lot of outreach going on in a lot of different communities, and we are very aware of fatigue that may be uh, occurring in those communities. So want to make sure that's not occurring, but simultaneously want to make sure that we are engaging with the communities and not overlooking anything. So predominantly at this point, we intend to look at stakeholders um, and engagement through our technical advisory group to help provide information on uh, feedback from those communities and what they would hope to see in relation to sea level rise as it pertains to the transportation system. However, should there be any need identified for further outreach over the course of this contract, um, we would definitely take a look at that to make sure that it could be included as appropriate. Thank you. Thank you. Nancy? Um, you mentioned that um, funding recommendations would be a part of the governance review, I believe. Um, could you clarify a little bit more about uh, what you intend to have this report offer to local jurisdictions with regard to funding they may not previously uh, be aware of? Yeah, I apologize. I may have misspoken funding recommendations. It'll be more to identify funding structures that have worked for other uh, government systems throughout the Bay Area and the country um, in order to potentially fund projects in the future, just so we have advice on how that could be formed um, following this plan. Um, there will be different efforts, just very high level cost estimates, cost estimates included in the adaptation um, measures that could be implemented that will be included very high level, um, but that's what we kind of anticipate for funding and costs at this time in the plan. Thank you. That that clarifies um, my misunderstanding. Um, but I'm wondering whether um, when you mention um, funding, sorry. Uh, when you mentioned funding structures, that, that's actually that could be actually very helpful to our jurisdictions. And I'm wondering whether you're talking about um, identifying relationships between various agencies, um, state and federal, um, public, private. What exactly you mean by the structures? We had a we co-hosted um, a very interesting um, symposium about five years ago with um, some academic and political figures from Montpellier about uh, the uh, comparing um, <clears throat> uh, precisely that um, in, in, in the French model and the American model, um, one with regard to who has permitting and uh, where the permitting uh, levels relate to funding. So are you suggesting that this project is going to help us when uh, when you say you're identifying structures? Is that what you're talking about or something else? So by structures, yes, as far as like 
exploring what a JPA would look like for sea level rise in this area. We just want to get an understanding of what that might mean. For funding, also, there's a lot of grant funding that's becoming available at the state and federal level. So Caltrans especially is taking note at the fact that sea level rise is impacting a lot of their infrastructure. So a lot more funding is becoming available. Um, but then also uh, Measure AA, we do have that 1% set aside. So we want to also consider incorporating um, some guidelines for that uh, existing Category 2.3 as well. Um, so that's uh, kind of what we anticipate at this point as far as funding goes and for the governance structure is kind of what we were thinking. I hope that answers the question a little bit. It better. does. Um, that's a very exciting part of this uh, program and, and I'm really uh, grateful for your efforts. Thank you. Commissioner Lucan. Uh, thank you. I just uh, one quick question. Uh, how are we defining transportation systems or networks for this? Is it movement of people, movement of goods? Are we including things like uh, ferries and ferry terminals and rail lines for both passenger freight and bike paths and even you know, county airport, which I don't know we transport many goods there, but for emergency, like, how broad is this transportation system that we're talking about? Yes. I think that that's kind of why we're bringing on a consultant. I think as far as transportation system goes, what we think of a lot is all of the roadways and the roadway network. Um, but we understand that transit's a big part of that. Smart's a big part of that. And there's a lot of different movement of people that can occur outside of the traditional roadway network, like ferries as well. Um, so we'll refer to the experts also to provide advice on how to incorporate that appropriately. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a great question and we're excited to figure out. Uh, that, that's good to hear a lot's been looking at. Uh, obviously there's a lot of tension on the Highway 37 corridor and a lot of studies being done in that. So I, I see a lot of this data can be used in, in some future planning for there as well. So glad, glad to know a lot's gonna be looked at in this. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Any additional commissioner questions? Seeing none, Jennifer, public comment. Don't see any hands raised at this time, Chair. Online? No. Thank you. Uh, any commissioner comments or would anyone care to make a motion? I'll move it. Second. First by Fredericks, second by Sackett. Jennifer LaRoll? Commissioner Blash? Yes. Commissioner Carroll? Yes. Commissioner Collin? Aye. Commissioner Farrakh? Aye. Commissioner Fredericks? Yes. Commissioner Kelman? Yes. Commissioner Chemnitzer? Yes. Commissioner Cool? Yes. Commissioner Milton Peters? Yes. Commissioner Ravazio? Yes. Commissioner Rice? Yes. Commissioner Rodoni? Yes. Commissioner Sackett? Yes. Vice Chair Lucan? Yes. Chair Colbert? Yes. We'll now move on to our final item of the evening. Review of the recommended crossing guard location selection. Before we move on to the staff report, I'm just going to make a few opening remarks and then turn it over to uh, Executive Director Richmond. Uh, all the commissioners, uh, Executive Director Ann Richmond and her entire staff recognize the importance of TAM's crossing guard program. We individually and collectively recognize the importance to each parent and our entire community, the importance of ensuring safe passage of our youngest students to and from school. There are a number of factors why a particular site may fall in the ranks and not require a crossing guard. Some of those factors include improvements at a particular site. Some of the improvements may include removal of a pedestrian island, reconfiguring intersections, separating bicycles from turning traffic, 
and relocating crosswalks and reconfiguring signals. Please keep in mind as we have this discussion that the improvements to incite benefit the entire community and not just our students on their way back and forth to school. This program began in 2007 with 54 funded sites from a list of 70 potential lo uh, locations. As of today, we now reach a base of 96. This is the amount laid out um, in our expenditure plan and the number of requested sites has increased to 150. We realize this is a hard and difficult process. We are extremely fortunate to have a local voted funder approved funding that enable us to fund and maintain 96 crossing guards. This year we have 97 due to a tie. In order to be responsible to our voters, our finances, and the longevity of the program, there needs to be a cutoff for point, unfortunately. If we kick the can down the road, we will end up having to make more cuts and the same heartache down the line. With that, I'll turn it over to Executive Director Richmond. Okay, thank you very much, Chair. Um, so I'll just be quick and then I'll turn it over to our staff. But uh, I did want to say a couple things. Um, so this is one of TAM's largest programs, maybe even the largest on an ongoing basis. Um, but even with that, the resources are not unlimited. And so every few years, we go through a process to evaluate which locations we can provide a guard for. Uh, as you said, this is we know this is a hard process, um, but at the same time, we have to have a way to make recommendations and decisions. Um, in this cycle, we analyzed 161 sites in a data-driven methodology that we'll walk you through in the presentation. Uh, the data really does uh, identify the ranking based on multiple safety and traffic uh, criteria. And we end up with a list that shows the sites uh, in an order that are most in need of a crossing guard. We have two primary concerns as an agency when we do the site list. The first um, has to do with liability. Uh, the list is really our defensible methodology and determination of the crossing guard locations. And if we deviate from the list, we are taking on a huge liability potentially. Um, the second has to do with funding. And as you mentioned, the um, expenditure plan for the sales tax does identify a base of 96. Um, so if when we go beyond that level, uh, we do um, have the potential to jeopardize being able to stay at that level throughout the life of the expenditure plan. Um, I also wanted to note that the community partnerships uh, that we have for this program are really important. Uh, we know that in the past, some jurisdictions or school districts have been able to use local funding for the locations that they're concerned about that are beyond the capacity of the TAM program. And uh, we always appreciate being able to sort of work with, uh, with the local community on uh, situations like that. I would also really like to thank all the staffs, both at TAM, the local jurisdictions and the schools, as well as all the community members and the board members for their dedication to making the program work now and into the future. Uh, and with that, I'd like to introduce Dan Cherrier, who will walk through the program's history, the evaluation process, and the recommendations. And Dan is also joined by TAM's outreach coordinator, Molly Graham. Uh, I do want to note that we have a slightly updated PowerPoint from what was sent out uh, just to provide some additional background information, and that we received a number of public comments that uh, were sent to the board and have been posted on our website. So with that, I'll turn it over to you. Thanks. I appreciate that, Anne. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm going to 
go ahead and go through the PowerPoint and then Molly and I will be here to answer any questions you might have. So with that, I believe PowerPoint is up. And let's go from the beginning. Oops. Okay, so this is, um, we're gonna talk a little bit about the uh, history of the program. Um, as you know, schools provided their own crossing guards prior to the Measure A sales tax that was passed by the voters in 2004. Uh, we, TAM was approached during the formation of TAM to take over the program on a countywide basis. Uh, one of the primary reasons for that was that the schools were concerned about the liability of the program. So, uh, We've, we've worked to have a, a defendable process that we've carefully vetted through our general counsel to uh, reduce that liability. The program has grown over time. You can see the numbers here. Uh, some of the big changes were uh, in 2010, we added um, Measure B, that's the vehicle registration fee. That added another 12 guards at the time. It, it adds a little less now because of inflation and the amount remaining the same. Um, that increased to 75 guards. And then with the uh, support of the voters, 2018 and the passage of Measure AA, uh, we were able to increase that to 96. That number is actually in the expenditure plan. That that's the number we think we're going to be able to maintain for the life of the program for the next uh, 25 years. So uh, unfortunately, in the not unfortunately, but because of the success of the program, we've gotten additional requests. And we started and, you know, it's grown to twice the number of requests we had now. We're up to 161. So... Um, as I said, in 2018, because of the success of the program, every effort was made to really grow the program. Um, and, uh, you know, 96 guards is where is a huge increase over where we would be right now without the support of the voters. So we've created a list of guard locations in 2006, 2010, 2014, 2018. Obviously, by that sequence there, that should have been 2022. However, because of the pandemic, we felt it was important to wait a year to get the travel pattern somewhat back to normal. The uh, list used to be recommended by the Marin Public Works Association and our Technical Advisory Committee. Uh, with the passage of Measure AA, we've uh, removed the Technical Advisory Committee, but they are still being recommended for approval by MPWA. Uh, we also took this to the Ad Hoc Committee and uh, for safer outs and to the TAM Executive Committee and our Oversight Committee. And all, all of those groups sub sub supported the list that is shown in your packet. Um, one of the things that that, that it, it does confuse a few people is we're actually removing more guards than we're adding. 
That's because of the board approved change condition policy that the board approved in 2011. Uh, basically, with a change condition, which is anything from a closing of a school, opening of a school, major changes in enrollment, uh, grade level re reconfigurations, a, a, a whole bunch of things might be considered a change condition. We will go out and do a mid-cycle evaluation. And should the uh, score with that mid-cycle evaluation be at or above the current funding line, then we will go ahead and add that guard for the remainder of the time until the next certification cycle. We've actually added um, eight guards and we've removed one and there's two additional guards that are uh, paid for by two, two of our school districts, Roxburgh, Cordum, Dara, and Kinfield. Um, as Ann mentioned, uh, normally the base is 96. This is a very unique year. We do have a tiebreaker process in place, but the tiebreakers were tied. So we made the um, decision to recommend to the board to fund one additional guard at this time. Uh, we did do a cash flow analysis and showed that that's possible. So how how do we come up with this list? Um, we base it basically on what's called the California Manual of Uniform Traffic Control Devices. That's a long word that we normally shorten to CMUTCD. Uh, that's our our standard we base it on. It's universally accepted, and they have criteria in there for when a site qualifies for a guard and when it's not qualifying for a guard. Uh, that's good if you just want to know if it's, can you have a guard or not have a guard? We, we've adopted that as a basis for how we actually score so we can scale that, that process that's in the CMUTCD. Crossing guards are considered a traffic control device and they're under the control ultimately of the Department of Public Works of the applicable jurisdiction. Uh, what are some of the factors we use? And some of this goes a little beyond the California Manual, Manual of Uniform Traffic Control Devices, but we primarily we look at two things. That's the vehicle volume that conflicts across a crosswalk. We also look at the school age pedestrian volume. Uh, that has a maximum age of 13. Uh, it was decided early on in the program because of limited resources that high school students would not be included in the program. Uh, we also look at a few other things, including speed limits and, and just the general geometry of the intersection, as well as accidents. We, di we did bring to you back in April a few modifications based on a committee that was formed and met for over a year. They made three basic recommendations. One was to lower the lower age from age five for school-age pedestrian to age four, because many schools have uh, now begun transitional kindergarten. Also, that we would use the speed limit that's for the general roadway and not the school zone speed limit, because almost in all cases it was 25 and increase the weighting factor for accident history. So we score each of the crosswalks by themselves. 
Some places might have eight crosswalks, uh, you know, with pedestrian islands or odd geometry. Each one of those crosswalks is scored by itself based on the control associated with that individual crosswalk. And I'm going to talk about the control in a minute. Um, and we look at that for multiple days and we make sure it's not going to rain or, or, or anything like that. Um, like I said, we put this crosswalks into four categories and control rural and urban stop sign or signal. Out of all that data we compile and all that scoring that's done, this is scores for all 161 locations. Um, we, we come up with the highest score. We do match the time period so that we're looking at the peak hour of the vehicles with the peak hour of the PEDs so, so that we get a, a uniform look at, at, at what's happening. If there's not a crosswalk there, we do make one concession, and that is we, at, we assume that if there is going to be a um, pedestrian, if there's going to be a guard, that the pedestrians that are kind of splitting both sides of a street will migrate to the side that has the, the uh, crossing guard. Um, things do change, and that's why we do this change. Uh, every time we've done this, uh, we've come back with a number, number somewhat like we have now. Last time, you didn't see quite this big of an impact because we grew the program at the exact same time. So a lot of the changes got absorbed in the growing of the program. But um, things that may have affected some of the sites this time is across many of the schools, we have declining school enrollment. That's reducing some of the student volumes. Uh, completed capital projects. Uh, we're gonna get to that in a little more detail later, but like realigning of bike walks, realigning crosswalks, uh, removal of uncontrolled crosswalks, uh, add, uh, changing how the phasing occurs on the signals, maybe an addition of a no right on red, and even things like a school school closure will especially affect a site. There was one, one school closure during since the 2018 uh, data was, was collected. So, as I mentioned, there are many infrastructure improvements. These are done to improve safety for our students. Uh, on the, the um, map on the right there, you can see some of the safety improvements that have been done all across the county since the last list was, was created. Um, and, and these improve the operation of the sidewalks and increase, and we said increased safety. Um, there are a few that uh, because of capital improvements uh, really did affect the scores this time. Um, for instance, Sir Francis Drake and Laurel Grove, we got a photograph here in a couple slides uh, that's showing the difference because we removed an un un uncontrolled crosswalk. Um, Sir Francis Drake and Bonaire, the same thing, the crosswalk was relocated to the other side of the intersection and no right on red was put in. There are no vehicle conflicts there anymore on the crosswalk that that had the most PEDs. 
uh, Bonaire and South Luisio, you can see there in the photograph, many of the bicyclists have been separated from the right turning traffic, which is the only conflicting traffic for the crosswalk across Bonaire. And as such, they're not counting as, as a, a conflict. East Blythdale and Elm in front of Park School, uh, the traffic phasing for the signal was changed. There's only one potential conflict and that really reduced the vehicle numbers. Tiburon and Blackfield, we removed some of the uh, islands. Same at Marin World and Miller Creek. Even though that did remain above the cut score, it, it, its score moved way down. So I do wanna show on the bottom here, I was mentioning Laurel Grove and Sir Francis Drake. You can see the old uncontrolled crosswalk in the left picture in the near ground, foreground. Uh, you can see that that was an uncontrolled crosswalk and it got scored with the criteria for an uncontrolled urban crosswalk. That's much easier to qualify for than like the crosswalk in the left picture that goes across Drake. That one never did, has qualified. Um, but now it's much more safe. You've removed an uncontrolled crosswalk and you've had the potential number of conflicts because before rights on red and rights on green both flowed across that crosswalk without any control. Now the only potential of any kind of movement to the people crossing Sir Francis Drake is the rights on green from um, uh, Laurel Grove making a right onto westbound Sir Francis Drake. And the, the number of vehicles in the peak hour was, was only a handful. So um, that is uh, one of the uh, examples of things that change with, with, with capital improvements. But don't forget the capital improvements are improving the safety of the crossing to make there be less need for a, a, a crossing guard. So, you know, we, we, we did this by shooting video. And then uh, we put out an RFP that the board approved last summer for, for taking video. We did it in multiple camera angles so we could really make sure that we could see the age of the students. We then hired a firm that, with its own quality assurance in place, plus TAM did spot checks to review the video to count the PEDs. And a lot of effort was made to make sure they were getting those ages just right. Um, we since the list got created, we've met with the superintendents, uh, met with key key school staff members, met with public works. We're beginning to meet with the Safe Route School Task Forces. Uh, should you decide to approve this list tonight, we'll we'll be then beginning an outreach process where we'll be communicating communicating directly with the affected schools, try to get the information and newsletters to the affected students. And we'll be doing some sort of manual process where we, in the past, we just handed out leaflets, but uh, we may just post those leaflets this time. The other recommendation we're making is to get back on track and do the next evaluation in three years instead of four, because uh, there still may be some lingering effects of COVID Perhaps the travel patterns still aren't back to their normal, normal self. 
we some schools have told us that some of the students went on um, um, homeschooling and they may may not have come back yet. So things think things may change. So um, we've talked about this a little bit, but um, I, I I do want to point out that we we look very closely to make sure that as inflation's been happening. Can we still maintain 96 guards? And in this case, 97 guards for just the next three years, and then we'll go back to 96. And the answer is yes. Uh, we've checked with two of the schools, the two school districts that are paying for guards right now. They plan to still pay for one additional guard. Um, and I want to reiterate what, what was said earlier. Um, if, if we increase past 96, it's kind of a net sum game. There's only so much money in the, in the measure to pay for guards unless we find additional funding. Then eventually we're going to have to cut down the number. And, and the voters did approve an expenditure plan that had 96 in it. So um, I'm sorry. Um, hang on just a minute. Um, the um, uh, We have... Um, approval of um, uh, of the list as, as it's shown, and then that you approve going down to rank 97 on that list, and that the next cycle uh, happen in for the 26-27 school year. Um, when we put this out there and we start notifying the school districts in the newsletter, we've created a uh, a uh, email, um, you know, not all the parents, even though as much outreach as we try to do, may not hear this until we actually do the school level notification. So uh, this will give them a chance to ask any questions they might have. Uh, so I'm here to answer any questions about the process and I'm always here to answer questions about the outreach or, or anything else. So with that, I'm gonna stop sharing the screen and see if anybody might have any questions. Yeah, thank you, Dan. I'm uh, I'm sure there's going to be a, a lot of commissioner questions. Um, so I actually uh, would like to sort of take questions first about the methodology, if we have questions, and then go to questions about particular sites. I think that may sort of help guide the conversation uh, and focus it as we move on. So uh, any questions first at all about the methodology from my fellow commissioners? Uh, commissioner Redoni. Yeah, Dan, thank you. <clears throat> thank you for the report. And I totally understand the selection process and how we've essentially approved that and you work with DPW and that lens. Do I understand it correctly that it sort of breaks out to about $20,000 a crossing guard? Is that correct? I heard that somewhere recently. This time around. This time around, um, we do happen to have an RFP on the street for crossing guards. And it will be getting some information very soon to know what our costs are going ahead. But we've done a pretty good job of estimating in the past. And I expect next year we'll be in the range of $20,000 to $20,600, somewhere in that Thank you. range. And then I got about the criteria, and I'm to blame for this too. I'm really surprised that we don't have some sort of equity lens when we take a look at this. And I 
totally get that if you're talking to DPW and engineers, you might not have that look, but with so much emphasis by this agency on equity, I just wonder in 26, 27, if we might wanna look at that. We did um, discuss that in the committee that was formed. A couple of people brought that up. It was, it was um, MCOE, it was uh, a whole bunch of public works directors, uh, school age parents, school officials, uh, and, and we all we all discussed that. The problem is, is that our process is the protection we have, and Tam took on that liability. And the moment you start putting equity into it, you're not basing it on a data driven system. You're arbitrarily putting guards at locations that are based on on where some other factors are going into to, to place the guard rather than pure hardline data of, 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 of usage. And our general counsel has told us that our, our only protection is to rigidly adhere to our process that we've, we've generated. Um, if we were to do something like that, I think we should really look at increasing our liability coverage. So, Rice. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Dan. Thank you so much, and Molly too. And I know this is this is a arduous and painful exercise, and um, totally get it. It's um, the, these two programs. Actually, I'm going to talk about both um, the Crossing Guard program and the and the Safe Routes program. They actually were um, primary drivers back when Measure A was first adopted. And um, their genesis before they became a part of TAM was always about how do we make things feel feel and be safer for so that kids um, will bike and walk to school versus getting into, um, into single occupancy cars. And they've been hugely successful. Um, and then I think we all know how um, you know, we're, we're all concerned uh, about um, students getting to and from school and, and frankly, everybody using um, the infrastructure. What I wanted to ask you about was, and this came up in our discussion in XCOM, was about the um, evaluation and the assessment methodology. Um, and we talked a little bit about potentially modifying that going forward. So you're not necessarily spreading out counts uh, on the in various areas of the county over several months. And I, I so I, if you could speak a little bit to that. And then also I want to ask, um, so as I recall, there was a, we actually went out four years this last cycle, right? And, and instead of doing a three-year evaluation? Um, actually, this time was five years. Five years, okay. And normally it's four. Okay, and then you're, and that was because of COVID and some other things. And then you're recommending that we get back on track by getting to a, a three-year cycle and I'm going to suggest maybe we that we still aren't seeing today, or at least when the counts were done in the fall, potentially what was normal um, behavior in terms of and, and numbers in terms of students going back and forth. But um, could you talk about um, the assessment uh, and the conversation that we had at XCOM in terms of its uh, strengths and weaknesses and what might be changed going forward? Sure. Um, as you know, we I believe we came to you in. July with the contract for the video firm, which is 
kind of the controlling factor in this whole process. The the accounting firm that we hired was ready to get going for day one, but without any video, there's nothing for them to count. All the um, vehicle data is done uh, with a pro, pro, proprietary system from the video firm. It's run through computers and it we've done spot checks on it. It is perfect. So we don't manually count the vehicles, but we do manually count all the pads. Someone has to sit there and watch the tape with multiple angles. So it takes a while. Um, but as far as the video collection goes, we got the uh, firm going right after the meeting in July. Um, and they they were on board, but it did take uh, longer than they anticipated to get all the necessary encroachment permits from all the towns and jurisdictions. It took about six weeks for that, and they thought it would be a couple-week process. So we didn't get going till about the um, uh, later part of September, a very, very last week in September. And the process just took took longer than they thought. So when we noticed that, um, we uh, subcontracted through our on-call company, another video firm to take video at the same time to speed up the process. So we, we tried to correct that, um, but um, we were we were pretty close to being done. And uh, but it, it did it did spread over. When, when after the rain started. So we wanted to make sure we gave everybody a fair chance. We waited till it warmed back up every time. And then sometimes another rainstorm would come in. Uh, so it, it took a while. And, but we, we tried to make sure that everybody had a fair and even uh, amount of time to do it. What we have decided, as you mentioned in the XCOM meeting, is going ahead, we're going to probably divide up that contract into three, maybe four firms, and they each take only a quarter of the 161 sites. And that, it, they only have so many cameras. And they, you know, they shoot it for several days on one site, and they have to move that camera to another site. They have to download the video. It was not, it's just a card. And then they got to recharge the batteries. And it, it takes a little while. And uh, there's just not uh, enough, there's not a firm out there that's, we had, we've had some problems in the past too, more on the counting end of it. Then we took care of that this time than on the video shooting, but next time we're going to have, have more firms. And the point of that is to have all the counts take place within a more compressed time period. Exactly. So you really have more apples to apples. Exactly. exactly. Okay. And, and I raise this just because um, I have some concerns over some sites where the counts, and, and I understand most of this counting and video happened in the fall um, and even into November, and then some even in February, and, and it was a long, cold, wet winter. And I, I'm just... Um, I am concerned that that the numbers that you got, especially around um, PEDS uh, and folks crossing, not so much the cars turning, maybe didn't reflect actually what has been happening on the ground. And, and of course, I've been hearing from, from school districts and parents about it, as I know you have too. But I just want to highlight that for the um, rest of the of the commission. And, and we I do think that it's going to be important going forward that we make as 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 level a playing field as possible when these counts counts are done, that's it for now. Uh, thank you, uh, Commissioner Farr. 
Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate the presentation. Um, one point of clarification for those 97s that we identified, um, does that include Kentfield and Bellinas schools that add an additional one or no? Uh, the, the school in Bellinas, the one in front was actually uh, below the cutoff line. Uh, so that guard is going away. Okay, Commissioner, are you are you referring to the cases where a school district is putting in their own yeah. funds to pay for it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I'm yeah. sorry. Sorry. I, I, I misunderstood. I just wanted to know if the ninety-seven number. No. It does not include no. Kentfield and Blinas, so they could go. So, for example, Kentfield could include like Laurel Grove and Sir Francis Drake for that one allocated amount. Well, they right. They, as of right now, included in the 97. As of right now, they're paying for a second guard at Wolf Grade and Sir Francis Drake. And as of right now, when we talk to the superintendent, that's the guard she wishes to continue with. Okay. The other one that's being paid for by Oxford Quarter Madera is at Paradise and Sea Wolf. They've already told us they wish to continue that guard as well. Okay. And then, um, when looking at the data, did you consider um, kids walking alone versus kids and parents um, and took that data? Because I would think the risk of, you know, a fifth grader walking alone home and crossing multiple streets is a little more dangerous than if I was walking with my um, five-year-old crossing the street. No, that's not that's not considered. We look at the total number of school age beds. Okay. Commissioner Moulton Peters. Oh, apologies, Commissioner Carl. Yeah, um, following up on the point that was just made, I already made my own notes about it. And as you know, I drive around the county quite a bit. And uh, the thing I noticed in the canal area, Marin City, um, and parts of Nevada, are exactly the point that was brought up are the number of elementary school students that are walking alone or walking with an older sibling, a middle school student usually, because the schools tend to be closed. Um, so I'm wondering if you have video, if those couldn't be counted, because generally in our more affluent communities, the parents uh, are working nine to five jobs. So they are able to walk their kids to school. They may not be there in the afternoon, um, but it's just something I've noticed over the years. Um, that, that might be something to look at as another uh, score. Uh, the second thing that occurs to me, and, and maybe, I mean, this goes back 60 years for me, but I remember one of the big thrills about eighth grade in the all-boys Catholic school was getting out 10 minutes early from Sister Mary Winifred's class <laughs> so that I could be a school crossing guard. And I'm wondering, is there some reason why we're not Perhaps at the middle schools, uh, going back to that old system of eighth graders being crossing guards at the middle school locations, which would free up the paid guards for the elementary. Um, yes, um, you're absolutely right. There is a uh, some several of the schools have a uh, school crossing guard pro a school. It's called. Safety patrol, I believe now, um, and they 
do have programs with the elementary kids. The problem is, is that they have to get to class. So they all stop about five minutes before school starts. And that's when the majority of the kids are, are racing to class. And some of the schools have done some sort of adjustment for that. But I know, for instance, at Glenwood and Knight Drive, uh, way out by uh, Glenwood School um, in, in San Rafael, they notified us that they're stopping their school safety patrol just because it was uh, too di disruptive to the learning. And uh, th th they were asking us to want to make sure that with the new evaluation coming, we're looking at that site. We actually were anyway, because it was on our list. But, uh, you know, we've been notified about that. So some schools are even cutting that back. Commissioner Moulton peters Yeah, thank you. I wanted to ask about the outreach that you're going to do. I thought that your before and after photos were very effective at explaining why or what capital improvements can do to ensure more safety and that this might be very helpful to the school community to really understand the improvements that have been made that then make a, a crossing guard not needed. So are you intending to do something that, that might include this? Yeah, thank you. So, um, I'll take that one. Um, so what we are going to be doing once a list is approved, we'll know the, the impacts and we're planning on working with the school districts as well as the individual schools. So we identify where the new crossing guards will be, where the changes are overall. So if there is a change and then talking about the overall process, I mean, this is complex. There is a lot. So we're going to just try to really simplify it, make it clear what the impacts are and why um, in as simple a format as possible, ideally a very small one page fact sheet and go to each um, site that is impacted. Like Dan mentioned that there will be a flyer there so that the kids can take it home and it can be um, well distributed. And all the districts that we've talked to have also said that they you know, have great communication channels and can help with that. I think that's great. Uh, I'm aware of the capital improvements that have been made at uh, in Mill Valley on Blythdale and Elm and uh, Tiburon Boulevard and Blackfield Drive. They're significant, but I don't think the untrained eye will understand that. So I really encourage you to get that information out there because it is an evolutionary process. The crossing guard is the fastest thing we can do to manifest greater safety. But over time, we've evolved these uh, permanent solutions, which is great, but we need to be able to explain those well so everybody and, understands. And just one add-on is that the how the Safe Routes to Schools program works as a team. You've got the education and encouragement, really do the behavior change, crossing guards, which enable the, the parents, I think, to, to have the peace of mind. And then the infrastructure is critical. We are making all of those infrastructure improvements all the time. And so we will try to make those points. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Cool. Oh, sorry. Uh, Commissioner Tillman, oh, your lights are on, sorry, Commissioner Sackett. Dan, for clarification, can you explain whether school enrollment was included in the calculation? I noticed it's in attachment C, but I didn't see it in the scoring. Right, it's not part of the evaluation whatsoever. It is. It was included just as a possibility of explaining some of the changes. Um, but it, it it's not factored in the scoring whatsoever. Thank you. Vice Chair Lucan. Thank you, uh, Chair. Uh, so I just mentioned, um, so I am part of the Safe Routes uh, subcommittee that, that looks at this. 
Um, and we had a really good discussion about this as well. And I think during my time on the TAM board, this is the third um, uh, methodology or, or, or list that I, I've reviewed. And it's never an easy process, especially when you're representing a particular jurisdiction. Sometimes crossing guard just makes the cut or just misses the cut. Um, but I do know we do have a change of condition process because uh, I remember we I think that happened once in Novato. Can you describe a little bit more about how that works if there is a change of condition in the next two or three years? Um, what is that process for TAM to go ahead and reevaluate that? Sure. Well, the um, there, there's actually more than one part of it. One part of it is a public works official finds a new location and they want that site located uh, evaluated before the next list comes out that's that's not really change condition it's a new it's a new location but that is part of the change condition policy i think the actual full name of it is new location and change condition policy but i always shorten it um for change conditions uh for instance the greenwood private school in mill valley closed so we went out there and evaluated uh blythdale and Buena Vista found out there was no usage, so we eliminated that guard. Uh, the um, other one that got changed was Linwood and Sun Sunset. There was an enrollment change there, a pretty major one with increased enrollment. So we went out there and evaluated that, and sure enough, its score did, did go up. So those are two examples of change conditions in, in the last one. Uh, when, when Hill Middle School closed years ago, a long time ago now, we went out there and immediately evaluated the sites right around there. So those are examples. Um, the But there's other things we look at, like for, like I said before, what if um, there's a grade level re reconfiguration that happened in uh, San Anselmo. There used to be a thing called Lower Brookside and Upper Brookside. One was grades one through three or one through two, and the other was grades four and five. Then they decided to move it into two separate schools with the full range of grades. As soon as that happened, we went out there and reevaluated those sites. So those are some examples of times we've, we've gone out and done that. Mm -hmm. If I can just add briefly, I mean, the, the idea of the changed condition policy, which the board did approve, it's a, you know, it went through the board process some, some years ago. Dan could probably tell you exactly when, um, is that between these certification cycles where we look at every intersection, uh, that we're asked to look at, there is an opportunity to account for um, conditions that may have changed in those intervening years. And so um, we have a process for that. As Dan pointed out at the start of his presentation, that uh, resulted in us adding seven, some number of guards from the last certification. Yeah, we went from 96 to 103, but we subtracted one. So I, I, you add all that up. Six or seven. Yeah. Um, so that, that just provides an opportunity to, you know, have some flexibility in the program to account for things that may happen between certification cycles. Okay. And then there's also a process to potentially swap a guard that is below the line with one above the line. If the public works director makes a, a finding, I know we have one of those, but that is an option as well right um what happens if they want to swap one above with one below it a tra a crossing guard is a traffic control device they're there to create gaps in traffic so if a 
public works director wants to do that, that's within their, their purview to do. However, we do need from them that they've accepted the liability because our process showed the guard should be at A and now they're putting it at B. That should an, an unfortunate incident happen at A that the jurisdiction is accepting complete liability and just for example the latest couple of uh, of awards associated with uh crossing of streets by students with crossing guards involved one was 18 million one was 20 million so uh a jurisdiction has to think hard before they're going to do that okay and then the, the last question uh our contract that is currently out for bid right now does allow for um you know others others to piggyback on that if if a jurisdiction or a school district or somebody else wanted to fund or add an additional guard below the line they could piggyback on that existing contract correct? right for, for example we there's two ones that pay us directly and we also worked out a deal with the the current vendor we have that they'll offer to any district our negotiated pricing which is less than their regular pricing and the, the only advantage is coming through us is we do have audits we we do sometimes to make sure that the guards there and they're they're operating correctly. If they work, if they contract directly with the vendor, then that's between them. Um, for instance, Ross has decided to go directly with the vendor, but other other um, other school districts have decided to go through us on a reimbursed basis, and we don't add we don't add on anything for that. Great. And then, and then just quickly for my, my board colleagues, you know, one other learnings I had from when we've done this before is there's always that, you know, first wave of outreach that we hear around this time of year. Um, but then when the school year starts up and places that had guards that don't have guards, um, there's a whole other sometimes another round of requests or asks at that time as well. So I just want to uh, share that with my colleagues. Thank you. Commissioner Collin. Thank you. Uh, thank you for that report. And actually, Commissioner Lucan asked um, primary the, the big part of my question, which was how could other people piggyback on it? In your answer, you talked about school districts. Can other agencies or parent groups also do that piggybacking, or does it need to be some sort of quasi-governmental agency? No. However, if it's going to be a combination of many groups, like half paid by the city, half by the school district, we would request just for our ease that we we enter into an interagency agreement with one one agency and then they do that sharing between them that makes it easier on us but even if we had to we could do multiple interagency agreements it just makes it a little harder for us thank you and what uh, what is the timing on that when that would have to be in place by it could be done anytime well prior to the yeah i mean we'd have to know we'd have to have it in place and the board has to approve the interagency agreements and our, okay. normally we don't have an august meeting Okay. So uh, it would be the fourth Thursday in uh, July. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. I'm not seeing any more questions concerning outreach or process. So then let's turn now for questions concerning any particular sites that some of my fellow commissioners may have. And Commissioner Rice. Yeah, so thank you very much. And um, Dan, you know, you know what intersections I'm uh, concerned about. And having gone through this a few times, I don't know that I think this is the first time I'm 
really feeling uncomfortable um, about um, the ranking on some of these sites. And I think it, what it really gets down to is, uh, as I mentioned in my question slash comment before about assessment, is that the assessment numbers in terms of PED and car count just don't really jive with the experience on the ground. And I'm speaking specifically about Laurel Grove and Sir Francis Drake Boulevard. And I think that there's a few others here that were just below the cut that had crossing guards um, um, and, and now have lost them. Um, and they're all very, um, very close in terms of, of ranking. But so I was going back and looking at the rankings on um, intersections along Sir Francis Drake uh, for the 2017 assessment that affected the 2018 um, crossing guard ranking. And as you know, there was a lot of improvements made um, as part of the Upgrade the Drake uh, project, and they affected both the Manor, Sir Francis Drake and Manor Grove, Manor, Sir Francis Drake and Wolf Grade, and Sir Francis Drake and Laurel. And um, really excellent and great improvements, really important. And I think I hope um, I hope the folks who are here tonight understand that those improvements really are geared towards those investments are towards making things safer for folks using those intersections. But so I, I and this is towards towards uh, sort of backing up my uncomfortableness with the assessment and that does not jive with reality. Um, Sir Francis Drake and Manor in 2018 was ranked 14th on the list. Did I get that right? Might have this wrong. And it's, in, or maybe it was 52 on the list and now, and it was 52 and now it's 14. I can't remember, I might be flipping that. Anyway, it had improvements and it didn't really fall off. Uh, it didn't, it, 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 it stayed up there. Laurel Grove fell off so much more. And I'm just, um, what I want to get at is this reassessment uh, opportunity. And though there may not be a changed condition, um, I would advocate, especially for those sites that are just below the cutoff, you know, from that had that score of 50 and 49, those last six below the cutoff, that they get reassessed um, sooner rather than later. Um, and I would say this fall, I think three years out is too long. Um, because, and I think we're going to hear from folks today and we've gotten co communication. Um, it's just the numbers aren't jiving. And so um, if it were possible to reassess those sites, those, those sites that lost guards and are just below the line and towards really um, ensuring that that count was accurate and that they, they do belong below the line, I would feel more comfortable um, but given the winter we had and the type of um, the transition to new school year and the fact that the experience, I think, at some of the other Sir Francis Drake intersections didn't have the same uh, drop off that Laura Grove did. I'm just um, I'd like to have them relooked at and in the interim actually like to have guards at those sites. And that's what I would propose, not for the entire three year period. Um, but until a reassessment is made and, and then maybe um, they're dropped if they don't if they don't actually uh, hit the ranking or get the scoring that that would have put them above the line. Um, so that's my proposal. And um, and I yeah. Yeah. And I have not done this before. Um, and, you know, I'm 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 willing to take the heat and take the hits, but I'm really not comfortable with what the data was showing in terms of specifically that intersection. OK. If it does make you feel any better, which it may not, um, 
Molly and I independently reviewed the tapes for for that site. Oh, I have no, I'm not, I'm not questioning your counting at all. I'm just questioning the experience, the, what, what the actual activity was later on different days, later on in the year when school really got going and our better weather is much different than what was videotaped. So that's, that's my, that's my comment. I think if we did something like that uh, and you want to come down that far, we've been you know, then we're just arbitrarily assigning guards at sites and we're not following our process. And th in that case, you know, uh, we've arbitrarily put it at some and not others. We'd be better off uh, funding further down, you know, the entire list, including the new sites, because that at least we're following a process. Well, I would feel good about that. But you do have to realize that we've we've run the numbers and if we did fund like down to 101 103 something like that then we even if we went back to 96 in 2026 with the cash flows we have right now and granted things change and this is out there ways but you know you have to start somewhere and we do make assumptions on forecasting costs for the next 25 years and forecasting revenue for the next 25 years and that's how we came up in 96 in the first place we would show that starting in 2030 uh the new base will never be able to get back to 96 probably be down to 91 or 92. so that that i mean that's the that's the trade-off with doing something like that understood understood and uh measuring in terms of uh in terms of how it has grown over time and, and our experience has been that it's been pretty solid and exceeded expectations. Um, but I think that these are close enough. These are longstanding crossing guard sites. I think that the community, if they uh, felt that the scoring wrote more reflected actually what their experience out there would um, be, um, would understand not having a crossing guard, but I think it just isn't jiving with what um, they're seeing on the ground. So I, I, um, I've made my case. Okay, and I, I also do want to point out that the um, when the, in the expenditure plan, when the voters approved uh, Measure AA, they were kind of thinking for the lifetime of the program we'd be able to support ninety six because that number was in the expenditure plan. So, Commissioner Sackett. Yeah, um, thank you so much, Dan. I have utmost respect for you and for Molly and Anne and how you've calculated and followed a methodology, but I will push back that it's an arbitrary number. I agree with Commissioner Rice in that there are a handful here that are very, very close to the line. And so I don't think it's arbitrary to in, to look at those that are within one or two points. Um, I just look at that a little bit different. Um, and I'm really concerned about the crossing guard being taken away at Nova, Nova Albion and Montecito, um, which has a lot of traffic from Kaiser, has a lot of teenage drivers from Terra Linda High School and a pretty high um, um, walking score and, and has been there and they're just one below the line at number 99. So I too would ask that we do, we reevaluate that site um, and see what those numbers are. And I'll just say from, you know, my own kids experience that they ride their bikes. And then when the days start to get shorter and one rainy day, it, it, it takes an extra initiative to get back out and into that habit again. So I do think those November, like once you stop November, December, January, it's hard to get 
back out there. And so I am worried about when those counts happened at that point. I mean, I, it's almost, you know, this time of year where it's warm and the days are long again, where, where things return to normal. So I would also ask that we look at reevaluating. Um, I'm concerned with, um, in particular, site number 99 on the list. And, um, you know, looking at how we can go back out in the fall and reevaluate those sites. And I would like to see a guard stay there through the, um, you know, at least the first semester of school. Uh, Executive Director Richmond, did you have a response yet? Yeah, well, I would just like to, to jump in with a clarification on this um, kind of notion of going further down the list. So I, I do think it's important to recognize that if we're talking about going further down the list, we can't sort of pick and choose, you know, just for example, 99 and 101 or 98 and 102 or, you know, whatever the locations are, we have to go down the list and catch everything up until whatever the cutoff is. And the reason for that is that we can't, um, from a liability perspective, fund a guard that is ranked lower on the list and not fund a guard that is ranked higher on the list. So we wouldn't want to fund 101 and not fund 100, for example. So when we're talking about going down the list, we're talking about adding however many we're talking about when we're going to 101 or 103, as uh, Commissioner Rice was suggesting. Um, and it's, uh, you know, I, I would... Um, take a little bit of issue with the term arbitrary. I mean, the, the cutoff has to be somewhere. It's in the expenditure plan at 96. That's what we aimed for. We had a tie, very unusual as Dan described this year. So we were recommending 97. Um, we do a pretty extensive cash flow analysis to look out to the end of the sales tax measure to see what the program can sustain. And so you heard Dan kind of describing um, that as well. So I, I think the um, the changed condition policy does allow for requests to, you know, look at different locations between the certification cycles. Um, but I just wanted to clarify the point, especially about not skipping over locations when we're talking about going through the list or adding onto the list. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Cool. Is there, in fact, a source of funds available to add additional uh, sites if it were determined that they that it was appropriate to do that? So we, I mean, the, there are two primary funding sources for this program. One is the Measure AA sales tax, and that's the bulk of the funds. We spend a little, spending a little over $2 million on the GARD program in the current fiscal year. Um, and then there's also a smaller amount from uh, Measure B, the vehicle registration fee. That's about $175,000 to $200,000 a year. Those are the two fund sources that we have. So um, it, we could, you know, probably afford to go down the list this year, but the impacts would be in the future because at some point we're going to um, not be able to sustain that level. And so when we do a, you know, this process three years from now and four years after that, um, those are the times when we'll start seeing really the impacts of having front loaded the expenditures of the program by going further down the list. And um, it, one other thing to keep in mind is that even if we go further down the list now, the change in condition, the changed condition policy would potentially mean that we're adding onto a higher base between now and the next cycle. 
And then in order to get back to 96, and at that time, you're potentially then looking at changes, more changes, more reductions. So uh, I hope that was clear. I can try to restate it if, uh, if it wasn't, but thank you for that. Carol. We've got a shared mic down there. Is that Commissioner Carroll? That's me. A um, couple of questions. One, what's the cost of the account? Uh, this time the, we had budgeted $300,000. It came in a little less at $280,000. And how often do we do it? This is list number six. We do it. Every, we've done it in... 06, 2010, 2014, 2018, and this is, I guess, number five. Okay, and what days of the week do they do it? Uh, it was um, Tuesday through Thursday for most of the sites. Okay, that was a big point I was going to make because I've noticed a dramatic traffic change where particularly a lot of Marin County people commuting to East Bay and to... San Francisco, it's much heavier Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So that answers that question of the time that it's done. Um, and that's a pretty hefty price tag. What's the total budget for the program per year, roughly? Uh, on crossing guards, we spend about, on average, $2.1 a year. Okay. So 300000 is a pretty hefty Get to it, yes. Okay. That's why we can't be doing recertifications every year. That's, but I mean, you know, the issue being, and I think some of the parents might feel this, is that, you know, traffic patterns have changed dramatically in just in the last six months. And now with more, I think just in this last week, we were hearing about another thousand to 2,000 layoffs in San Francisco for some of the other tech companies for Uber and Lyft and, um, well, Twitter's been a massacre. And so there's been a lot of dramatic changes in employment in the last six months. And so it's just, that was something I was trying to consider if that was a factor that given the effects of COVID and now the effects of the economy, um, if we could do the count sooner, but at $300,000 pop, that's a pretty steep price. So thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, all right, I'm not seeing any additional commissioner comments. Oh, wait, sorry, Vice Chair Logan. Yeah, I'll just uh, quickly add, and, and I appreciate um, you know my colleagues here, and and uh, I, I think a lot of us have been on this board for all. We've all been there before, where you you represent a jurisdiction that's just above the cut or just below the cut, and it's it's never easy when that happens. Uh, I, I do have a little little caution about making a, a specific change right now, given there's still a lot of unknowns. Uh, we don't have a contract. Um, it's out for bid. So we don't know if it's going to come in higher than we thought, um, lower than we thought. Maybe, maybe it comes in lower and we do have a little more wiggle room. Maybe it comes in higher and we have even more pressure than we know. Uh, but then I also know sort of the ways that this happens. Um, when the school year starts, uh, we will hear additional comments. Uh, that happens uh, every year. And we'll also have more accurate enrollment numbers because uh, we know some schools are experiencing declining enrollment, but every year there's a couple schools that have significant increases in enrollment, at which point that might cause a, a change of condition or a request. So um, I just say, you know, whatever we decide to do tonight, I just want to caution that we will probably hear a lot more in the fall as well. 
uh, and there might be a second wave. So we, we might want to make sure we do this holistically uh, if there were to be any uh, changes. If I could add on to that too, um, when we went from the 2006 list to the 2010 list was our biggest change ever. Uh, 25 guards came off the list that moved down. And at the time when we handed out the leaflets, it was my email that was on them. And I got 3,500 emails uh, regarding the crossing guard changes. And, and, and that was in May. That's before school even came back. So it, it is near and dear to a lot of our uh, con, con, constituents. <laughs> Put the chair's email on it. <laughs> I uh, I always I'm welcome to engage uh, with the public. I got a very pleasant call from my grandmother this afternoon. Uh, so, uh, um, in any case, I don't see any more questions uh, from my commissioners. We're going to keep um, in mind Commissioner Rice and Commissioner Sackett's uh, suggestions, um, and when we get back to them, we should sort of keep in mind that those suggestions about reevaluation and for additional guards at those two spots. And of course, we'll keep in mind uh, staff comments about funding. But now it is in fact time for public comments. So Jennifer, I think we'll take public comment in the room first. And I will ask everyone to line up. Please do not be shy. Uh, three minutes. And um, I'm sure I don't have to remind any of you, but please let's uh, be uh, respectful during uh, our comments. And thank you for attending. And if you would, uh, wouldn't mind just your name and where you happen to reside and welcome. And you have a three minute timer, which I believe Jennifer, everyone can see, great. We can hear you here, Jennifer can. Uh... There, I think, oh. Great, nice. wonderful, thank you, welcome. Good evening, um, thank you so much for welcoming us tonight. My name is Raquel Rose. I get to be the superintendent in the Kentfield School District and I'm a resident of San Anselmo. Um, I'm here tonight representing the Kentfield School District, as well as our Kentfield School District Board of Trustees, to share some comments related to the discussion, the robust discussion you just all had uh, around the crossing guards. So on behalf of Kentfield School District, representing 1,035 students, 120 staff members, and up to 600 families, I respectfully request your consideration of the negative impact that decreasing crossing guards in our district will have on our local community. Your report recommends the elimination of three crossing guards that impact our district, Sir Francis Drake in Laurel Grove, Sir Francis Drake in Bonaire Road, Bonaire Road in South Elysio. These intersections are heavily congested during school start and release times and are on the walking and riding routes for significant numbers of our students and those of other local schools. Sir Francis Drake is the busiest east-west route in Marin with over 46,000 cars on an average per day. On a recent weekday morning at the intersection of Sir Francis Drake and Laurel Grove, I witnessed over 50 students crossing on their way to Ross Valley Nursery School, Basic Elementary School, Kent Middle School, and even Marin Catholic. Eliminating these crossing guards will significantly compromise the safety of our youth and will contribute to increased traffic during school drop-off and pickup hours in an area already plagued by delay. We've been working for years in collaboration with Safe Routes to School to recommend our families that they have their children ride or walk to school. This effort is consistent with the goals of your organization and the county overall to reduce vehicle traffic and encourage environmentally friendly modes of travel. 
The elimination of these crossing guards is not consistent with these countywide goals and will significantly set back our efforts in this area. Families will be less likely to have their students walk or ride to school, and many families whose students currently walk and ride to school may be forced by safety concerns to drive their students to school. Pick up and drop off lines at Basich Elementary and Marin Catholic already cause significant delays on Sir Francis Drake. A decision to remove these crossing guards would increase this problem, negatively impacting the entire community. We've heard from many families whose children currently use these routes that are shocked and concerned that these changes are being considered. As an organizational leader, I would feel less comfortable encouraging our families to have their students walk or ride to school if the routes are not safe. Please weigh the negative impact the removal of these crossing guards would have on the safety of our students, traffic congestion in the area, and our countywide environmental efforts. Thank you. Thank you. Next. Right. Good evening, esteemed members of the TAM Board of Commissioners. My name is Heather McPhail Schriederin, and I'm from Kenfield. And I speak to you tonight as a concerned parent and recently appointed coordinator of the Kenfield School District Safe Routes to School Program. As a point of reference, this is my second time in the role. Prior to recently serving nine years on the Kenfield School Board, I was coordinator of the Kenfield School District Safe Routes to School Program, starting when my eldest, who is now 17 years old, was a kindergartner. For the past 11 years, all four of my kids have walked or biked to Basich Elementary and Kent Middle School using the Laurel Grove Sir Francis Drake crosswalk. Tonight, I want to raise two critical concerns related to the potential loss of the three crossing guards in our district. First, for the Laurel Grove Sir Francis Drake crosswalk, many of us in our district felt that the count seemed very low given our personal experiences with the intersection. The official count in the report indicated only 31 pedestrians and zero cyclists in a one hour time frame as the top score. However, two days ago on Tuesday, April 25th, Superintendent Raquel Rose, aide to Supervisor Katie Rice, Nancy Vernon, and I met from 7.45 to 8.45 a.m. at that intersection and did an unannounced count of children crossing. We recorded 53 kids, of those 23 were cyclists. I repeated the count again this afternoon from 2.20 to 4 p.m., this is the crossing guard shift, and recorded 55 kids using the crosswalk. These results are significantly different from what was recorded last November, and in my opinion, more accurately reflect typical patterns of behavior in that crosswalk. It should be noted this particular crosswalk at Laurel Grove and Sir Francis Drake is a really long one, according to what one fourth grader told me this afternoon, since it crosses four lanes of busy, fast-moving traffic on Sir Francis Drake that can feel more like a freeway at times. Tom, the crossing guard at this location, told me that he always enforces that kids walk their bikes through the crosswalk and estimates that it takes 15 to 20 seconds to walk across it. He has a cutoff at 10 seconds, never allowing kids to cross with less than 10 seconds. He wondered whether kids would place a similar cutoff left on their own or would just take a risk and just sprint or ride their bikes across regardless of the time left on the clock. Second, I want to raise a concern that came out of a comment made by TAM staff at the Kenfield School District Safe Routes to School Task Forwarding meeting this morning. I expressed that I am concerned about questions of equity with the loss of the other two crossing guard locations in the Kenfield School District, the one at South Elysio and Bonaire Road, and the other at Bonaire and Sir Francis Drake, 
since they are both directly adjacent to the large area of multi-complex apartment buildings. I was surprised and saddened to hear from TAM staff that none of the crossing guard criteria takes into account questions about equity. Excuse me, that's three minutes. Can you please wrap up your comments? Um, oh, I just The last comment is, if there were any criteria that address equity, I feel like those two specific crosswalk intersections might have scored differently. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Annalyn Chargoloff-Peluso, and I'm a parent in the Kempfield School District, and I live in Greenbrae. I actually live on Villa Cumbre, which is the furthest street from our schools. Um, I'm going to attempt to be articulate and fast. I ask that you consider delaying a decision to approve or accept this recommended list of crossing guard locations. I invite you to look closer at the data to question how valid the scores are, and specifically at um, number 101, which is Laurel Grove, 131 and 132. And I wanna focus on 131 and 132, which are the two crosswalks closest to the hospital, Marin, General, Marin Health. Um, Marin Health is the largest of the three main hospitals in the county, um, and they employ 1,400 full-time employees, 800 of them approximately work during the daytime. A shift change happens between 6 and 8 a.m. And there was an ER, EIR done, an environmental impact report done, that defines Sir Francis Drake Boulevard as classified as a primary arterial street and is a major east-west travel corridor through Marin County. Starting from Interstate 580 in the east, Sir Francis Drake Boulevard extends west through US 101 and extends all the way to State Route 1 on Point Reyes Peninsula. In the, in the project area, the roadway passes through the communities of Larkspur, Greenbrae, and Kempfield, providing access to a variety of institutional, transit, commercial, and residential uses. I invite you to define pedestrian. Is it only kids TK through 8 who are walking or takes into consideration those biking and scooting. If you're only counting kids TK through eight, how is this a true count and are equitable of pedestrian traffic? It's located near the county hospital, the largest again in the county, county park and walking bike paths along the creek to various schools, including calm high schools, elementary and middle schools. Please question the document and and do an audit should an audit should be considered to take into consideration the timing of the count the length of time and the proximity to the hospital specifically if you look at the counts it is unfathomable to think that it rated a zero in other factors the fact that it is located by a hospital makes this an exceptional factor which not many crosswalks in the county can actually claim it also ranked as a zero, number 132, line 132, in terms of vehicular traffic. I just described to you how the environmental impact report describes Sir Francis Drake. You can access this document on Marin Health's website. Thank you. Um, thank you very much. Next. Hello, my name is Janine Spaulding. I live in Kentfield and my third grader and fourth grader bike or walk to school by themselves and cross Bonaire and South Elysio every single day. And I ask you to consider the audience when you're removing three of the prime crossing guards in our district to the elementary school, which is TK to eighth grade. 
we love our kids, but their brains are not fully developed. We, even though we think we're great, have done great parenting, we can't expect them to make good decisions if a crossing guard is not there and actually follow the rules of the signal. We wish they would, but undoubtedly they will not. And the South um, Elysio and Bonaire Road, the traffic light in the new construction there has been great. But at the same time, when that light is green, cars go very fast across that bridge. They race to win the light. And I see people turn when they're not supposed to turn quite often as well. So you're really putting these kids at great risk. And on a personal note, on April 5th, my 10-year-old daughter was crossing Bonaire in South Elysio at 5.15 coming home from softball practice. And unfortunately, she was stopped by a man in a truck asking her to get into the truck. Fortunately, she is safe and did the right thing and ran away. So this is obviously outside crossing guard hours, but you don't know the impact outside of your data and also the budget concerns of having people and adults that are there to safeguard our children. It is more than just having uh, crossing guards there during the school day. How do you know that more nefarious characters might not be there at other locations? This is obviously not um, a big situation that happens all the time, thankfully, but I ask you as your commissioners, make a good decision for kids to keep them safe. And please just don't look at the budget and the data. Thank you. Thank you. Next. Hi, um, I'm Megan Levin. I am in Kentfield and I actually also went to Baysage Elementary, grew up in Greenbrae. My mom may have called you, I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> I do want to say thank you um, for all of the improvements in the sidewalks. I think that is a significant improvement. Those photos were great examples of what the changes have been. And thank you for such a thorough assessment. It seems you really have studied the work and we believe that you did the correct assessment. However, I do think the timing probably impacted the results. And so I'd like to make some comments on the criteria. One, um, many, actually I think almost all of us work full time. So there are now two parents working in majority of our communities. And um, through the pandemic, we were working from home. Since January, due to the layoffs, as well as companies wanting people to be in the office, there is a significant increase in traffic. And typically we're dropping our, walking our kids to school, getting in the car and driving through those intersections while people are still going to school. Um, also one of the reasons for that is because buses and ferries are not back to their normal schedules. And so we do have more single occupancy cars on the road. Um, the habits of the kids, I'm going to echo what was previously said, they are not walking on a regular basis yet still, because we are like three weeks out of all of this crazy rain and cold weather. So I do think a reassessment would be a really valuable thing to see. Um, the speed in one of the criteria, um, while there is posted, Signage of 35 miles per hour through the Laurel Grove um, to register exit or inter uh, intersection. The eastbound traffic typically exceeds 40 to 45 miles an hour coming over a hill to a stoplight. And we have quite a few people that are doing deliveries, et cetera, that are not regular motorists on that road. And I think that that is a significant thing to take into consideration. Um, from a student population, it sounds like that's not criteria in the program. So I'm not going to comment on that. Um, I want to echo what the previous two speakers said on South Elysio, the hospital, um, an equity perspective as well. Majority of those families are um, both parents are working and or single parents, highly dense population there where the children are walking to school together and the parents are unable to accompany them. And so I think it's really important we take into that into consideration. I do think we could come up with data to reflect equity. Um, and so I encourage you to consider that as criteria in the future. Um, and the final thing is I do think population should be taken into consideration. There's a significant increase of young children that are coming into the Kentfield School District in the coming years. 
A number of students left um, during the pandemic and due to the administration um, challenges that we had over the past couple of years. And I think Raquel and Maria have us back on track. And I think we are gonna see, I know people that are re-enrolling in the Kempfield School District, but it was very challenging and a number of people left for that reason and they wanna come back. And so we don't want safety to be a reason they don't come back. Um, Thank you for your it. comments. Yep. And if your mom's name is Ann, it was in fact her. She's oh, my mom's Patsy. She's oh, there you go back there. Yeah, she's she's baby <laughs> she's babysitting right now. You told me. Patsy, I'll call you soon. We had a very long conversation. She's charming. Thank you and welcome. Good evening. Uh, good evening. My name is Beth Carlson. I don't think my mom is calling any of you, but I'm not sure. Um, so first and foremost, I just want to um say thank you to you all for the analysis and the thorough information and the use of frameworks. And certainly to this uh, council, I appreciate the difficult decision that you have in front of you. Um, I'm a mom of two kids. I have two boys, a nine-year-old and 11-year-old here in the district, and I'm also a full-time full -time employed. My husband and I both work full-time, and we are out of the house early. We're home late in the afternoon, and my kids being able to bike or walk or scoot safely to school is a really critical part of us just operating as a family. Um, we live in Greenbrae, and so my children bike um, along the Sir Francis Drake Corridor, which, as we've already mentioned, is extremely busy, um, and I really rely on those crossing guards to to feel comfortable sending my kids to school. And in our situation, I'm not able to accompany them. So it's not something where I can just change my work schedule and be there with them. I have to trust that they can get to and from school safely. I also wanted to just um, mention and say this with a lot of, you know, with humility and with respect, but just say that I, I really disagree with the statement that equity data is not hard data. Um, I would implore the council to consider that removal of guards in areas along Sir Francis Drake and in particular around Bonaire where there may be a disproportionate number of single parent and or dual income families would have an adverse impact on a great deal of families whose children have no other way to or from school other than walking or biking. And like my own children, they must do so independently. So thank you for the time. Thank you very much. Next. Hello, good evening. Thank you. Uh, my name is Jennifer Mariska and I also live in Kenfield here with my friends and neighbors. Uh, I'm here this evening as the parent of a six-year-old first grader at Baysitch and a three-and-a-half-year-old preschooler at Ross Valley Nursery School, and we live just off of Laurel Grove, uh, a couple hundred yards from Sir Francis Drake. My family, friends, and neighbors and I were all upset to hear that this year's TAM assessment of crossing guard locations across the county put ours near the bottom of the list. Upon review of the ranking methodology, I was frustrated to find what seemed to me to be a significant undercounting of both the daily average traffic on Sir Francis Drake and Laurel Grove and the pedestrians. Additionally, I think the uh, methodology taking into account uh, turning cars at signals as opposed to the cars going straight through the intersection significantly discounts the risk posed by those passing traffic. Um, comparable signal intersections with lower average traffic that are not primary residential access to a school remain on the approved list. I too acknowledge the benefit of the capital improvements at our intersection. I lived there through those and it is very clear that the uncontrolled portion of the crosswalk is, is gone, increasing the safety. But contrary to what was noted in the presentation, it is still legal to make a right on red and our crossing guard diligently keeps those eager kids ready to go to school, off the corner, and out of the way of the cars who are making a tight right turn. Our neighborhood is full of young kids who walk to and from school on a daily basis. 
And those of us with young ones look forward to when they can do that on their own, given our comfort with the close watch of our excellent crossing guard, Tom. Having a crossing guard at each of the two boundary intersections for the largest dedicated elementary school in the county seems like a clear, necessary step toward ensuring our kids' safety. When the road adjacent to our school is effectively a four-lane highway in Sir Francis Drake, it becomes essential that we have that organized monitoring of our kids' crossing. The intersection has an east-west crosswalk across Laurel Grove and a north-south crosswalk across Sir Francis Drake, both carefully monitored and manned by our crossing guard. He keeps kids off the bikes in the crosswalk at all times. He keeps the cars that are going straight behind the line and out of the crosswalk until well after the last crosser is done. And even if the light has already turned green, Tom would stand in the way. <laughs> These safety measures would fall away without a crossing guard. To Commissioner Rice's point about the purpose of these programs, unfortunately, the loss of a guard would absolutely result in more kids getting in single family cars, including my own. I would simply drop my kid on the way to work. Uh, I cannot overstate the safety value that a crossing guard at this particular intersection brings. And my concerns that the various criteria included in the ranking of intersections in the report understate the vehicle and pedestrian traffic at this busy intersection. I appreciate your consideration. Thank you very much. Next. Hi, my name is Nicole North. I'm neighbors with all these lovely ladies. I live on Laurel Grove. Um, I have a six-year-old and a seven-year-old at Basich, and I grew up in Marin. I've been here since 83. And I mean, there's a reason why we decided after living in multiple cities to move to Laurel Grove, in addition to being very beautiful and amazing schools, is the community and safety. Um, and the, the safety of our kids being being a primary consideration. And there's, you know, there's a lot of really smart people in this room, great points made. So um, I'll just echo two of them. Um, one is like, I, I definitely share the concern about the timing. I mean, were they ever on the ground, like the timing of it um, in the future, I'd definitely do it this time of year um, for all the reasons stated. And then the question about um, the concern about accompanied versus unaccompanied, I mean, yeah, there are a lot of littles, including mine, but there are a lot of a lot of big kids riding their bikes, just a lot, and they are not accompanied at all. And so, you know, like so many families here, um, our, our crossing guard, Tom, who's an incredible human, he's not a device. Um, he has pulled my daughter back, like, and I was there. I'm like, I'm an attentive parent. He's pulled her back. She's squirrely, and she like didn't understand the, you know, the cross or the the signals. And he's pulled her back before, and we just have like so much appreciation for that. And he's protecting our children. And I highly encourage uh, reassessment and um, keeping him in place during that process. Thank you. Next, hello. Another Kentfield person here. Um, I live off Floral Grove as well. I am Catherine Wagner, sorry. Catherine Wagner, and I have two uh, school-aged kids who use the crossing guard for school every day. And I cannot echo um, enough or say enough amazing things about Tom. I have personal stories and stories that I hear from other people where he has actually saved lives. People go down Sir Francis Drake, at very fast speeds, which I think should be part of the criteria that it's on a busy intersection versus a community area. I think that could be something that is added down the road. Um, and I also think that we should think too about the equity. I really think that's just a part of 
the way that the world is today. But I do love what Katie Rice had had mentioned about maybe reevaluating. I do. I have noticed a huge difference in traffic um, since November, which is when the study was done. Um, to even just like three like three months later, um, there's so many more cars on the roads. I know so many more friends who are required to be back at work in person every day. And um, I know that the cost is very significant um, in getting all the data, but it was also mentioned that the data for traffic is, it seems like it's streamlined. It might be automated by a computer. Um, maybe that could be revisited um, as well, just to see the, the traffic patterns that have changed. Um, and I hope that you all just consider the busy intersection of Sir Francis Drake and also just, you know, the changing in patterns of the way that COVID has um, has changed in just the recent months. But thank you. Thank you. Next. Hi, everyone. I'm Sarah Cohen. I also uh, live in Kentfield, right off Laurel Grove. And I, I can't echo enough what all um, my fellow neighbors and friends have shared. Uh, one of the the things that I really wanted to make everyone aware of is with, with this methodology, it really doesn't take into account the fact that there are so many kids in our area that aren't within that, um, that four-year-old uh, age group, which is what makes them be accounted in, in your methodology. There are so many little kids, but this is counted for three years. So there will be a lot more kids that are within that age group. Like there are tons of little kids in this area. So if you walk down the, the, the area, you'll see stroller after stroller after stroller. And I just think it's so important to know that those kids weren't counted. I have two little boys that weren't counted and we walk that street every single day, numerous times of day. And I just think it's incredibly in, important that while there's all of this data that was done, and I appreciate the data so much. There are things that weren't accounted for. And this, this particular issue hits home for me so hard because I grew up in the Midwest and there was a very, very similar street. Um, it was going to a high school, which there's a high school down the road, but um, a child or a high schooler was killed and they had done all the necessary things to make the street as safe as possible, but there was not a crossing guard. And I, I, uh, it just makes me very emotional to think that we've had a crossing guard there for four decades. And I obviously money is always important, but we should also consider the ramifications of removing that crossing guard, because if someone, God forbid, did get hit, there, there would be a lot of um, ramifications to, to the county in removing that, that crossing guard. So that is all I have to say. I I pray that um, we get to keep Tom. I've seen him. He's told me stories of people, that, uh, of cars he stopped. We we need this crossing guard, and um, I hope it's reconsidered. Thank you. Thank you very much. Any more public comment in the room? I'm not seeing any, Jennifer. Uh, can we ask everyone online who would uh, wish to make public comment, please raise their hand. I'm seeing two right now. Jennifer? David Riedel, please unmute. Yes, this is David Riedel. I'm a resident of Greenbrae uh, and, and part of the Kentville School District. I would like to highlight one thing that hasn't come up at all in this conversation, 
which is the widespread use of e-scooters and e-bikes, uh, which has really changed quite a lot in the last year. And I think it's set to change a lot more in the next year or two. So I think that really needs to be taken into consideration. I echo the other comments that came from my Kentfield neighbors, uh, and I hope that we can preserve the uh, important crossing guards at Sir Francis Drake and at South Alicio and Bonaire. Thank you. Thank you. Next. Annie, please unmute. Hi there, my name is Annie and I have two children in the Kentfield School District and live on Manor Road. I'm very disappointed and alarmed to learn that TAM may be cutting three crossing guards in our community. The greatest density of KSD families live around the Bonaire, South Elysio and Bonaire, Sir Francis Drake areas. And both of these areas comprise of most of our English language learners and low-income students. It is much more likely that these students have parents who work full-time and are not walking with their kids to school, making the crossing guards in these intersections that much more critical from a safety and equity standpoint. In addition, I'm especially concerned about the Bonaire South Elysio intersection with the incoming home key project and the little protection the county is planning to provide for our families. Sir Francis Drake is the busiest east-west road in Marin. I don't understand why you would cut crossing guards in these high traffic areas and cause potential harm and maybe even death to community members. You seem to be able to find money for everything to support cars and bikes in this county. So why would you cut crossing guards? The thousand plus students at KSD, Ross Valley Preschool, Marin Enrichment and Marin Catholic deserve better than this. Please protect our children, find additional funding sources and keep the three crossing guards in our community. Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer. Any additional public comment online? Chair, I don't see any additional comments at this time. And with that, we will bring public comment to a close. And I'd like to thank everyone for their public comment. So we are now um, back to commission discussion and deliberation. Uh, and before we begin that, let's sort of just load a level set. This is an action item, correct? Correct. All right. And we're looking for um, uh, to approve the list as presented, but just as a reminder, uh, Commissioner Rice and Commissioner Sackett have already made a suggestion to the list in question. And before we begin discussing it, I'd just like to summarize so we all know exactly what is uh, what the uh, potential alteration is. And Commissioner Rice, I'm, I'm going to summarize it, but if I get it wrong, please um, don't hesitate to uh, interject. So at this point, right now, the list that has been proposed by staff, and I'm going actually to list, is to fund the first uh 97 uh, spots on the list it's typically 96 but we have a tie so we're going for 97 and i believe the suggestion at hand right now is to uh, evaluate uh, 98 all the way to uh, 103 in the fall and then fund those uh, sites and I believe it was for half a year at this point, Commissioner Rice, um, that your your suggestion was. 
I would love to have them funded for a full year, but I think uh, uh, Commissioner Sackett is rep is recommending that at least have them in place for the first half of the year um, until we get the information back from those assessments, which should be done in the fall, which will either, you know, validate or uh, which will va validate one position or another in terms of actual counts. Okay. So to evaluate in the fall and fund for uh, half the year, and just to be clear, I believe half the year would be until the end of the calendar year. Is that what we're, is that the thought fund until, I guess, December 31 over winter break? And then just as a further point of clarification for myself and for my further commissioners, were the uh, reevaluation of those sites in question, when might that come back to the full board, uh, Dan or uh, Ann? That... Sorry. Um... Yeah, it would take us a while to do that uh, because we have to manually count them in this case um, and go out for multiple days, give everybody the same fair chance. Uh, it would probably be at the earliest October, could be November. Okay, so at that point, though, that there would be in all likelihood the board would have an opportunity to review whatever those numbers would be either in uh November, where the meeting is typically a little bit early because of Thanksgiving or at the December meeting. Yeah, I do want to point out that there are two new sites within that. And TAM has not had a official board policy, but it's been something we've tried to do anytime we start a new site. And we did talk about this in 2008 with some additional sites we added that year for pilots, uh, that if we fund a guard, we fund it for the whole year. So then those two new sites would possibly be started in August and stopped in um, December. So yeah. that would that would be a little against what we've done in the past. However, we can certainly do that. Um, we may want to go down to um, 100 for the entire year. Of course, that does have financial implications, we probably might have difficulty ever meeting 96 come 2030. So I, I don't know. There's a lot of moving factors. Can I say something? Uh, of course, Commissioner Rice. Yeah. So I, I was going to suggest that the assessment be done for all six, 98 through 103. But frankly, that the guards just be put in place for those sites that previously had guards and then and and part of my suggesting just funding for the first half of the year um, is in case that, you know, the counts don't come back, that it really changes in terms of the ranking. And you understand we have to draw the line somewhere that that gives some time for if the school district wants to and the community wants to um, make some plans to fund a guard on their own. But I just hope folks understand there has to be a line drawn somewhere. Um, and I think you made the case well, though, for changed conditions. But I was talking about only unless the, the board wants to do something else, just um, putting a guard in place for those ones that were cut among those six, because those are the places where, frankly, the community is used to having them at this point. But that's just my suggestion. I think uh, I see a, a number of commissioner questions, but I believe ex I believe. Uh, Ed Richmond has a point of clarification concerning Commissioner Rice's last point. If I may, Commissioner, I I just would um, sort of re repeat the concern that we would have with sort of skipping over locations on the list for those two sites that we were talking about at one uh, 
Yeah. Sorry, so, Anne. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. And I was thought you were speaking just the assessment itself and I misunderstood, but uh, your point is well made. And so I would um, amend that to include all six. And uh, this time we'll start on this side. Uh, Commissioner Collin. Thank you, Chair. So uh, we had heard from the community and I think Commissioner Rodoni had talked about uh, that concept of equity. And actually, this is probably the supervisors could answer this probably best. There are county endorsed metrics, and they were utilized during the pandemic around the tenant protections and eviction uh, proceedings. So is, I mean, those have been ones that have been accepted and policy has been uh, utilized with them. So doesn't sound like it's going to work for this round, but those, I, I would suggest that we just utilize the metrics that the county is already using. And they tend to be census track based. So it's not fine slicing by apartment building, but it would be census track based. Thank you for that uh, comment, Commissioner Collin. Uh, Commissioner Fredericks. Um, I, I have two comments. One, one is about the equity um, assessment. I, I understood from the staff that if anything but the um, safety concerns that are already defined legislatively or at least in policy and regulation are part of the um, consideration of, of what gets what site gets a crossing guard that there is an increase a, a possibility of increased liability. Did I understand that correctly? Can you say the, the second part one more time? Just, just to make sure I'm answering the right question. Equity is part of what we measure in determining what site gets a guard rather than the safety concerns that we now use, excuse me, <clears throat> right. that are pretty standard, that somehow it increases the liability of the agency should something occur. Yeah, we've been told that we're protected a couple of ways. Um, one is we, we have a very... Our process is very driven on data. It's very objective. There's very little sub subjectivity associated with it. Uh, and that it's based on a, a, an accepted standard in the industry. So the, all the numbers we use to, to compare against, that is a good part. And also that if we were to put equity into it, then it's it's very difficult to, to quantify that. Now, like I said, when we did form the um, committee this time that made their uh, recommendations to the board about, about the changes, one of the things they wanted us to look at was if, if there's a way that we could come up with an equity um, methodology and and we checked around with other agencies that also evaluate crossing guards los angeles county san francisco large, large programs uh las vegas these are huge programs compared to ours and um they do it they do it on less factors than we do it's just simply pet and vehicle volumes for for, for those other other agencies so it's it's even less um so than ours the um the other thing is is that we did look at somehow looking at the total volumes going through the intersection i believe one of the speakers spoke to that uh to see 
what effects that might have. And what ended up having is, is a lot of the uncontrolled crosswalks where the guard is the only thing protecting the, mm-hmm. the uh, students disappeared off the list. It's, it's kind of a net, net sum game. And right now, when you have signals providing a lot of the gaps in traffic, and that's what a guard is supposed to be doing as a, as a traffic control device, then if you do solely on just total volume of traffic, then you end up with many deserving uh, uncontrolled crosswalks uh, with cars just whipping by both directions that that would end up losing a guard. So after all that evaluation, the committee made its recommendation to MPWA and to this board uh, to make the, 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 the changes that I talked about, the age, an increase for accident history and a um, increase for for uh, speed limits, but to, th- that would be as far as we should go. Any other con- considerations would would really actually reduce equity because you know you'd be taking guards away. You'd be putting guards where there's already a traffic control device and taking them away from locations where there is none at all. So I I understand the process. I think what I had was a simple legal question about whether there was an increase in liability if you counted something like equity rather than just the traffic safety standards. Unless there's a very numeric way to do it, the answer would be yes. Yes. And the question I, I, and that's a consideration. Uh, And the question I, I really wanted to ask, because I don't quite understand what is being proposed, if part of the proposal is to recount, is it just recount of certain sites or recount of the whole system? Because if you're looking at a seasonal effect, I don't know what the rationale is for it um, differentially affecting one site and not the others. Right. Uh, obviously, the seasonal effect would be shared by ones. And if you look at, there's a, several scores that are grouped close to 103. That The cutoff score right now is 51, but if you came down just 10 scores less than that to 41, you'd be at rank 114. Um, I think we should at least, if we're going to reevaluate to give everybody some sort of fair shake, we should probably come down to rank 114 and um you know then the one right below that might say you know why didn't why did you reevaluate me and it just kind of keeps opening up uh uh you know why didn't you look at mine and it it does potentially have an increase in liability let's say an accident happens at you know uh rank 116 and you know now we have a process where we only reevaluated down to 114 why didn't you re- reevaluate that one? Um, I think if we do anything like this, we should seriously look at our, our insurance coverage. So, Well, if insurance coverage covers it, it seems like an easy decision. But we're talking $20 million awards. So it's, it's not small awards. Commissioner Saget? Yeah, that's uh, uh, Commissioner uh, Rodani. Yeah, uh, again, just to follow up on some of the things I'm hearing, 
I totally get we don't want to expose us with more liability, but it's my understanding if we just choose to, for example, go to 50 on the list, that wouldn't expose us anymore to anything. We've already we used the process to get to 50. We use the score of 50 as the break point, for example. That would be fine when it comes to terms of our exposure. Uh, <laughs> leaving this thing on um the um yes that, that's true we can come down the list as far as we want what i was referring to was the reevaluation yeah uh because we're only reevaluating a subgroup of all the sites that were below the list i think that's where the potential is yeah and i'm know. not suggesting that i think the solution is to ask staff and ask Anne. It looks like it's about $20,000 per crossing guard plus or ch plus some change. If we went to 50, that would be three more guards at about $60,000. We went to 49, that would be six more at about $120,000. Right. The question I have the staff is, is my understanding that our revenues are going to be higher this year because of good sales tax. <laughs> which I can't find in our budget because our budget looks like it just looks at a flat annual budget and actual is actually the same. Is there some room in our budget to make a 60 or $120,000 decision tonight with the understanding that next year might be totally different and we might have to reduce guards if we don't have that bump in, in revenue next year? Well, our, that's our, my question and to Dan or Ann. But actually, where you would see the the annual budget would uh, the annual revenue would be in the strategic plan, but the uh, it would be better if our next evaluation is in twenty twenty six that we in, instead of you know one hundred and twenty we do that for all three years and look at three hundred sixty thousand or or whatever the number might be. So that's kind of what we've been looking at. And and if that's coming out of the crossing guard program, now if it's an additional funding source, it's not going to affect it. But if if it's coming out of the crossing guard program, we have run the numbers and the effect. And like I say, by 2030, we'd be having to probably reduce our base down to 91 or 92. Yeah, I understand that. So that's a policy decision that we make every year. We don't have the funding available we would have to cut the list. So I guess I'm asking is, can we come up with the funding this time around to add some guards? Commissioner, we did factor in the um, the actual revenues up until this point in time. Now, nobody has a crystal ball, but we used you know a, a reasonable um, expectation that actually the board approved last month for a 2% revenue increase year over year going forward. We factored in some inflation adjustments on the cost side. We know wages are likely not going down, they're going up. Uh, the cost of the program is probably going up. We do have to wait for the bids to come in to see what our actual contract cost is expected to be. And we'll know that pretty soon. Um, but you know, we, we made reasonable assumptions. And I think in the past, those have been pretty close to what has happened. Um, I, I think it is important to kind of reiterate that while, yes, we have um, funding available that can cover down to 100 or 101 or 103 this year, if we keep doing that year after year, then we're going to run the program into the scenario that Dan described where we can't fund the base amount even of 96 that was kind of set in the expenditure plan. So 
Um, it's really about sort of current versus future trade-offs at that point. Thank you. I'm going to go to uh, Commissioner Ravazio and then bring it back here. I would just like to uh, support the idea that we find a way to keep these in place uh, this year and in the fall, if we have the funds to do so, um, and then reevaluate uh, at, at the cost that we're doing this program for for to do that many for $2 million and then have to spend $300,000 just to evaluate it. If we, if we stopped counting, we could, we could probably fund them all. Just a comment. Uh, thank you, Pat. Commissioner um, Holden-Peters. Yeah. Thank you. You know, I, I think trying to find a, a middle way to address some of this, I, I, as I was listening, I, I'm troubled that I don't think that the counts are right. I do think weather has played a part in this. And it, it would explain why in other cities in my district, their major streets have dropped lower in the list. And I think, how could that be? Their major streets. So I, I just want to say, I think it behooves us to try and do something even on a one-year basis. Because I, I just don't, I, I just don't think we're quite playing with the right data set on the counts. And I, and I want to add something that I know is coloring outside the lines, but for me, it's not all quantitative. The, the crossing guards, particularly at major intersections, are a flagship of this town prioritizes safety for kids. They're a very, very visible billboard, and they kind of set the tone for other parts. So when you lose your very visible crossing guards, you're, you're losing that banner. Uh, and so I, I would advocate for a partial funding using partial funds to cover certain down the list to cover the sites in uh, in Katie's district for now, for this six months a year. And we look, this happens every time. This happens every time. There's always sites on the bubble and we find ways to deal about with it. And we always know that we can't live this way forever. But even on a one-year basis and doing a reassessment, I, I just think we're just in this funny in-between situation and we need to acknowledge that. Commissioner uh, Logan? Yeah, so I'll, I'll just kind of summarize a little bit of, of what I'm hearing. And uh, yes, this this does happen every, every time. Uh, we always run into this issue and sometimes it happens with the one that just missed the cut. Uh, mostly the, the public testimony we heard today was about one that missed the cut by about four. Uh, so in order to get to it, uh, you have to go down the list to six. Um, and that would, if, if my math is right, it'd be a cost of about $120,000 a year to fund all six of those. Um, and that's one way to do it, to just pull them all in. I, I wonder using the change conditions criteria, um, if there was an increase in school enrollment or day one of school, we find out, you know, are, are there other criteria whereby we can maybe pull in one or two instead of the blanket approach of all six? And what, what criteria would it need to meet for a change? If there was no change in physical condition, um, roadway improvements or things like that, would, would school enrollment or something else trigger us to look at it that way? Because uh, the other approach is, yeah, we just have to go down and scoop up a bunch of other sites that maybe there are genuine concerns about those other sites, but we're not hearing about them tonight. Um, so I just, just want to get a little more thoughts on that. Uh, well, you're just talking about 
world rogue because we were also talking people were talking about bon air and south Alicia. well bon air and south Alicia are down to 130 right, right. i mean th those are i i and i appreciate the concerns but i also want to be very candid that there's i don't see any way we can go that far down the list um so i'm talking more about this particular particular right. one so your question is can we come down the list that far no what 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 qualifies as a change of condition is it purely uh, a physical change to the roadway uh, or could it be school enrollment increased numbers of walkers what if there's something that changed that that um that a major change to school enrollment grade level reconfiguration all the other changes we talked about before we we can do it simply because the public works director who has observed something they think is not the same, they can ask us to do it as well. Okay. So that's just one other thought that maybe could be suggested by the end of the school year. And maybe it allows us to, to evaluate yeah. the one instead of the blanket approach of scooping up the next six, eight, 10 on the list. We will do it on our own if, 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 if we notice the others, but the public works director who is on the streets and knows better than anybody what's going on, uh, we we defer somewhat okay. to their expertise. Thank you. I was going to try and sum up things um, at the risk of making myself look foolish. I'm, oh, wait, sorry, more Commissioner and Nancy, please. Yes, um, I wanted to just follow up on um, Commissioner uh, Lucan's comment. I understand, um, <clears throat> and I understand your concern about picking and choosing among the six that um, that would have to be scooped up in order to address the Laurel Grove. But it seems to me we have a procedure for a change in circumstances. But it seems to me that tonight we've actually heard evidence that there may be a mis may have been a mistake. Um, in the counting of this one intersection. So I'm wondering whether um, identifying a possible mistake, I'm not saying people can arbitrarily come in and um, demand a different count, but uh, this has been pretty overwhelming tonight, I think, um, that there may actually have been a miscount with regard to this one intersection. So I'm just wondering, as I say, following Commissioner Lucan's idea, as I heard it, that perhaps through our change in circumstance procedures, the circumstance could be the fact that there appears to be evidence of a miscount. That that's what I'm hearing tonight with regard to that one intersection. I just put that out there as a possibility. Um, can I, may I may we respond to that? So certainly. I I mean I would I would not characterize it that way. I guess I would say I mean we went back and looked at staff went back and looked at the video and verified that the count that was used in the calculation was correct for that location on that on those two days that it was uh, um, done conducted 
what we heard today is that the numbers may be different now and we don't have a way to to verify that you know i i mean i believe that the parents saw what they saw um but whether it conformed to the same process that we used in our accounts we we just don't have a way to verify maybe it did maybe it didn't so i would be um i would not necessarily characterize it as a mistake mm -hmm. i think as dan said there are other routes to go through uh to do it for someone to request a change condition analysis and you know there are um the the uh, having a request come from the public works director is a pretty broad uh reason and so if nothing else i think you know that that route could be pursued if we're talking about um going down that path okay so um rather than dip down and 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 i think that i th i think that's fair i think it's fair to recharacterize it that way but um i'm wondering do I hear you saying that we could approve the list as drawn tonight, but that the numerous people who appeared tonight would have a an avenue um, to uh, proceed through the change in circumstances? I guess you're saying that that the the count that's done now would would be the change in circumstance is is that what i'm hearing you say um such that we could approve the list but there would be a vehicle for adding a crossing guard uh before or 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 maintaining the crossing guard before uh the next school year we would be we would our request tonight is to only fund down to 97. that's that staff's rec recommendation yeah, as far as a change condition uh we you know we haven't even approved the list yet so uh, you know we, this would be putting the cart before the horse now as far as i know there's nothing that's changed there nor have we received any 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 um uh request from the public works director that there is something that's that they've noticed has changed what has changed is is people have done a count at a different time than we evaluated the other 161 sites we're not 100 percent sure that the same methodology was uh done maybe it was maybe it wasn't we have some pretty strict ways we go about it and we we, that's why we have various camera angles and we carefully look at where the students are going and we carefully look to see what age they are and we and we make sure that it's in quarter hour increments and we record all that data and we do it over multiple days i'm not sure all that was done right now but let's say it was you're still comparing apples to oranges because the other locations were done mostly in the fall and and so you're comparing you know fall data to spring data from one site that doesn't that that may not be particularly equitable for for the other sites okay so can Thank i you. may i just ask a clarifying question is your question really about at what point in time could a changed condition request be made like could it be made when when would be the soonest that something is that what kind of what you're trying to get I at i thought i heard tonight that the count the original count differed than what the parents are seeing or have been seeing. Um, and I, I hear I, I hear you say that we're looking at fall and we're looking at spring. 
if the 50 people cross it, the 50 children crossing now is a change in circumstance from the circumstance uh, that was originally evaluated, there should be a, there should be a process for uh, petitioning um, staff to maintain that crossing guard. I'm trying to find out whether there is a a, a vehicle for for uh, us to vote tonight that would uh, that would allow the parents who have appeared tonight uh, redress uh, in this. Uh, years cycle. Nancy, I hear that. Can we, we've, I want to sort of try and go to Janelle with a clarifying question. And then I, I'm, and then I want to try and sort of sum up where we are to sort of see if we can sort of move this forward um, and ultimately make a decision on, on what we need to do with the crossing guards, because ultimately we, we sort of need to sort of move this program along. Um, so Janelle, do you have a clarifying question? I for do, us? Chair, and I think it dovetails with uh, Commissioner Kemeter's. So um, I think it's completely unclear to me what a change in condition is. Uh, I'm looking here and I'm seeing that the TAM Crossing Guard Program Location Strain Criteria Summary was approved April 2022. I'm also seeing that the Bon Air uh, uh, Capital Improvement Project by the hospital was completed in June 2022. That was mentioned this evening. That sounds like a fairly significant change in condition. And I'm not completely understanding how that got embedded into your account that was conducted two or three months prior to completion of that project. And so maybe some clarity around that would help us all. Thank you. So some clarification on the timeline. So the methodology was approved by the board in uh, April, I think you said, of 2022. Um, the counts were conducted in the fall of 2022, and a few of them kind of lagged into early 2023. So the capital improvements um, on Sir Francis Drake, on Bonaire, uh, those were evaluate. I mean, those were incorporated, if you will, into the counts that were done in the fall because those projects were finished before that. Under the, as we are speaking about them, right? Those types of they, projects. They would, they would have been, but they were already incorporated because they were done before the counts were completed, were made. Thank you very much. Do you have a clarifying question? Uh, maybe a comment. Uh, we're going to have to make some hard decision tonight. And there have been many good points raised uh, about why things ought to be different. We can't make it all different and we can't satisfy everybody. So just as a, a matter of trying to get something done, I would suggest that we re, that we ask the staff to reevaluate 98 through 103 simply because that's a number that we used to support and that we ask staff to reevaluate the one uh, intersection at uh, Bonaire and uh, Sir Francis Drake, which seems to have drawn uh, a lot of attention. Okay, so at the at the at the at the risk of, I'm going to try and sort of sum summarize and sort of I think what's in play and and, and where we go. And unfortunately, I probably should have requested uh, TAM Council to have been here because 
I mean, I think ultimately it's very hard for us as an organization to get away from the liability concerns to the extent we we move away from the list. Like I I, uh, I was I haven't been here as many times as Eric, but I was here on the last time, and and there was a lot of uh, spirited and responsive uh, public engagement. But ultimately, to to deviate significantly or sort of in any way from the list sort of puts the entire risk, uh, the entire program at risk due to liability. So I, I think one path forward might simply be this. It seems that, uh, and I'm wrapping in everything all at once, because as has been made clear by uh, executive director, we cannot skip oversights, right? That is just simply untenable. And I'm also not going to, I think the sites in question right now are 98 to 103. I think those should be reassessed. I, I've sort of heard very strongly from Commissioner Rice and, and other members and even the XCOM earlier that there's a question. But in order to do that reassessment, it needs to be conducted by TAM under similar circumstances. And it can't happen now is, is my understanding that a reassessment would have to happen in, in the fall under whatever those changed circumstances for those. And then I, I think the other thing that we, we, we need to sort of think about is, are we going to refund all of those six sites in their entirety? Because again, we, got, we cannot skip over them. Unfortunately, I think we have to consider the longevity of the program and, and what it looks like. Because we, we simply not only have a budget, we actually have a fiduciary responsibility under the program. So one, we have to answer to the taxpayers about what we will attempt to fund. And we have to sort of take into concern that if we fund a number of sites here, how in fact will we respond to the taxpayers that we will have to respond to 96? I think at this point, it's reasonable to fund those sites for uh, half a year, um, do the reevaluation, and then that allows us um, us and other stakeholders and partners in the community to sort of see what might it look like to fund those sites for the full year or what it looks for the, the next three years. I think there's a number of questions that have come up tonight that we simply are not in a position to answer right now. Um, I, I think, for instance, I, I, I think my fellow commissioners would sort of like to get some more uh, comforting questions on liability and probably members of the community from uh, attorneys. I, I think, um, Dan, you, uh, raised an interesting point, uh, um, which I'm keeping in mind about to what extent we can only choose to reevaluate re a number of, of sites as opposed to another larger portion uh, of the list, which I would like clarity on. So we've we've been here for a long time. Um, I uh, and and questions that we can't answer tonight. And do we have any leeway to unfortunately um, come back in May with some answers to these questions? Uh, and and the contours of, of framing how we might come to a decision that is uh, responsive to the community members whom I appreciate for their time and Commissioner Rice and Commissioner Sackett's idea. I think that's the only way we can sort of make uh, an intelligent decision uh, as a board um, at, at this point to come to come back with um, some further information based on what we've heard tonight. Uh, that's that's my suggestion uh, at this time, uh, fellow. I'm, I'm seeing I'm seeing nods from my fellow commissioners. Um, 
So I'll take the nods as a yes, but I would certainly welcome any clarifying comments or, or no's from my commissioners. This, is, of course, is a, a period of discussion. Commissioner Rice? Yeah, and I'm, if I understood you correctly, it sounds like you're pushing off a decision to May on this, uh, pending, uh, pending answers to those questions, which... Um, and the one thing I think you left out, but I don't, I think it's for a later date is a discussion of how to potentially build in an equity lens, though I think actually um, that's at a whole, that's another discussion of, in terms of evaluation. I actually feel like that plays out in terms of the numbers of kids you see on the street. But um, I, I, are you suggesting that we just, we, we move this to May? You know, I'm I'm trying to get a sense of my fellow commissioners feel comfortable making this decision. So I'm happy to take would, a vote. You know, I would. I'm happy to make a motion, and I get and, and oh, okay, see what understood. happens. Okay. And, and I that's and fair. I guess maybe I'm going to ride my bike home in the dark, and that's what's making me now get impatient. Um, <laughs> I yeah, I think you know originally that my suggestion of of going down of reassessing 98 through 103 those six was twofold. One, um. There, they were really on the cusp, one and and two points in terms of the weighted score in terms of making it over that um, that uh, cutoff. Two, um, take keeping in mind the not wanting to skip, not skipping or hopscotching over sites. Um, one numbers one oh ninety nine. 101, 102, and 103 all have had guards in place, and it's something the community's used to. So to me, it made sense. They're on the cusp. Um, they um, potentially are, um, were, were not in the, the data or not the testimony we heard tonight around change conditions. And change conditions is also behavior. And I think that was the other thing we heard about is that work patterns have changed, et cetera. And then there was, you know, the weather part, but it, you know, all six of those were very close together. Four of them have had guards. I would make the motion that we approve the list as recommended. Plus we direct staff to uh, reassess in the fall numbers 98 through 103 and in the interim actually um assigned guards uh um budget for guards in those locations those six locations for the first half of the year and then pending the um reevaluation that's done in the fall um that will that will determine whether or not those guards should be funded ongoing for the full three year term of this uh, cycle. Does that make sense? And if not, um, if those score, if those weighted scores don't change um, or go down, frankly, then those guards would be dropped. Understood. Does can that I, make sense? And that's the motion. Can I make a suggestion? And I know it's obviously up to you all to make the motions, but um, I think because of the issue that Dan raised, where choosing to reassess a certain number just introduces some additional potential risk to the process. It might, an alternative approach might be to um, fund to 103 or whatever the level is that you're proposing. And I think that's what I heard you say. And then have those uh, jurisdictions work with TAM if they're interested in doing a changed condition analysis to see, you know, if that's feasible. 
Um, and in the meantime, you know, they're, you know, have a guard there for six months or whatever the duration is that you select, but rather than sort of doing an automatic reassessment, okay. having a jurisdiction that's interested in that location, you know, work with us on a changed condition request if they want to do that. All right. I, I would modify my, okay. my uh, motion to um, that, that, that funds the crossing guards through one, through uh, 103. And then, uh, but only for the first half of the school year. And in the interim, those jurisdictions and or communities work with TAM towards formally submitting a change condition request that would trigger an assessment. And this way we're staying in alignment with the program. And um, and for those Kentfield uh, sites, I would be that only through 103, I would be um, working with you and our public works director to make that request. We have a motion by Rice. Do I, have a second? I second that motion. That's really the procedure I was getting at in my comments earlier. Thank you. All right. Uh, we have a first and a second. Jennifer LaRoll. Commissioner Blash. Yes. Commissioner Carroll? Yes. Commissioner Collin? Aye. Commissioner Farrakh? Yes. Commissioner Fredericks? No. Commissioner Kelman? Yes. Commissioner Kimnitzer? Yes. Commissioner Cool? Yes. Commissioner Moulton Peters? Yes. Commissioner Ravazio? Yes. Commissioner Rice? Yes. Commissioner Bordoni? Yes. Commissioner Sackett? Yes. Vice Chair Lucan? Yes. Chair Colbert? Yes. Motion passes. We are adjourned. You know what? It's always it's these kinds of things. Some, some, some,